What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Cooldown Time. My name is Marco. I'm your graphically outdated host. And as always, is the technical mess of the show, Pablo, here as well. Uh, Pablo, look, man, we are. Uh, this is kind of our, our finale episode before we get into the game of the year stuff. So we got to kind of go oh, out yeah. with a bang here. But uh, how you doing, man? What's going on with your week? Yeah, uh, it's been a good week. I've actually gotten some time to put some significant... Uh, playing time into some video games which i'll be talking about today mm. uh some surprises some late surges here with my top 10 i thought i had my top 10 list locked and ready to go but there's some games out here who are, are, are fighting for a spot on my list and i don't know man once one in particular might make it it's it's mm. been like my biggest not my biggest surprise but kind of like one of the biggest surprises of the year which kind of continues the whole theme of the year not only it being one of the better games of the year in terms of games but a huge year for surprise games, at least for me. So I'm, yeah. I'm excited to to talk about that here a little bit uh, in our in our uh, loadout section. Yeah, man, it's been a my my top ten list was pretty solid for almost the entire year when I when I was ranking stuff, and then mm-hmm. and then the last few weeks came along, and now I'm like. Oh, this looks totally different than what I had it looking oh, like yeah. before. So I'm getting to that time of year. It usually always happens where my top 10 will, will undergo a, a pretty big facelift, uh, a little tummy tuck, if you will. <laughs> and uh, and then I get it right. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. Um, and I'll talk about, you know, kind of why my list is is getting a little interesting in a short while as well. But look, um, speaking of game of the year um, specials and, and, and how we're going to rank things out. Listen, next week is going to be the beginning of our two part game of the year special um we have a really really jam-packed uh lineup of awards that we're going to be giving out to some of our favorite and not so favorite games of the year uh you'll see much more about that uh, if you tune in next week and then of course uh following that for part two is going to be us ranking the top 10 games of 2023 in a combined list so we're going to be deliberating we're going to be deciding we're going to be arguing we're going to probably get a little angry with each other and block each other on social media for about an hour or two then we'll get over it mm-hmm. um per you know of per course. usual per usual per um, usual and then we'll also share our personal top 10 games of 2023 as well. Uh, and you can decide at home uh, who has the better taste in games. Um, <laughs> so let's kind of uh, let's kind of focus on this week's episode, though, because we got a lot of stuff to cover. A lot of interesting news stories to unpack about Xbox, some stuff going on with sales numbers we got to get into. And we got a, a couple of eulogies to give out, believe it or not, Pablo. So let's oh, not yeah. waste any time here. Let's get let's get started with the first segment dedicated to the games we've been playing uh, since our listeners last heard from us. That's called loadouts. All systems nominal. Loadouts ready. All right, man. So as you kind of hinted at, uh, you've got a pretty interesting list of games to talk about. Um, I got some some updates to give to my. Uh, you know, the previous games I've been playing. So let me kind of jump in first here because uh, I want to talk about Alan Wake 2. Um, so where I left off with Alan Wake 2 was I have been waiting pretty tirelessly for the Xbox version of the game to get patched. Um, for those of you who aren't aware, the Xbox version um, currently um, 
some 45 plus days after launch, is suffering from audio issues which are affecting every cinematic in the game by causing severe lip syncing issues, um, the music cutting in and out of cinematics as well, to the point where some scenes don't even have it in there at all. Uh, and various things like that. There's even a, a bug where if you pause the game during cinematics, it, it desyncs the, the audio and lip syncing even more. So needless Yay. to say, it wasn't that, that, that wasn't it for me. So I was like, you know what, let me kind of wait. But the day just wouldn't come. And then I find out uh, the most recent patch drops that added New Game Plus. I think, um, okay, they're probably going to make the fix a part of that that patch. And nope, they didn't do that. So they basically said, hey, you know... We'll be back in January to kind of work on the audio issue that's up next for us. Um, so, that's like the first time they addressed that, yeah, uh, like head on, yeah. which is weird. Which, yeah, other than saying like, "Oh, we fixed the first cutscene in the car," uh, which I test, I tested that they didn't, they didn't fix it at all. Nope. So I was like, you know what? Okay, I've, I've kind of, you know, had it with waiting on the Xbox version. Let me go ahead, and I'm gonna try to get a refund. And I'm going to go ahead and get the PS5 version, which I didn't really want to have to do because I've heard the PS5 version had performance issues with frame rate uh, and a couple of uh, bugs of its own. So I was like, you know what? Lesser of two evils, though. I'll take a bad frame rate if I can actually get through the game and watch cinematics without it getting ruined. So I tried to get the refund with Xbox. They're like, nah, we're not giving you no refund. So I'm like, that's trash. I fight it. I fight it. I fight back. I start swinging back. I'm like, no, 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 no. You don't understand the situation. I know... I purchased the game well past my point of being able to get a, a refund, but here's the situation. Here's what the developer said. Here's uh, I sent videos of what I was dealing with, and they're like, yeah, but nah, <laughs> not going to give you a refund. Now, mind you, I got the PS5 version thinking, okay, I'll get the PS5 version, mm, and then I'll get the refund from Xbox, balances out. Now I have both versions of Alan Wake 2, uh so good, I, I'm, good. you know supporting remedy hey, look at you that's my spin but i'm also kind of irritated about it because i had to resort yeah. to this just to get a playable version of the game but nevertheless i say all that to say all just before you say anything you'll already come into coming into your second playthrough on the ps5 all pretty much i would be upset and i would oh. kind of be like this game better blow me away or i'm blowing oh, someone away you should have seen the <laughs> furrow of my brow bro i'm sitting there like i wish this game would have a bug i wish it would <laughs> so anyways i played the ps5 version and i went ahead and i finished the game I, pl I powered right. through it. I finished it in 22 to 23 hours. So I, I put a decent amount of work into it, uh, but I got done with it pretty quick. To get the to get the, the, the technical side of things out of the way, the PS5 version does have some frame rate problems. It does. Um, there's a couple of little random bugs where um, you can't pick up the... Um, the satchels that in increase your inventories, you can't pick them up. Oh, so you, okay. Yeah, nice. so there's a bug there that apparently came from the New Game Plus patch. So that's great. Um, and also the pause bug that I just referred to on Xbox, it's here too. So mm. um, needless to say, oh, and the touchpad. When you use the touchpad in this game to either go to the mind place or uh, look at your map, you have to press it a couple times for it to work. So in instantly, I'm already like, oh my god, I'm just trading one problem for another, right? 
<laughs> but I'm like, whatever. Okay. I came here for the cinematics to work. They're working. Let me just push through it. And I pushed through it, like I said, finished the game. And this game's incredible, bro. <laughs> I'm telling you. <laughs> this game you. is incredible. Um, as much as I wanted to be angry McGee about it, I just couldn't do it because the it, it, it is a slow burn in the beginning. Um, and I think, and I actually stopped playing the Xbox version just before business started picking up. So oh, yeah. when I got to where I caught up at, you know, uh, when I played the PS5 version, I got to where I was at in the Xbox version. From there on, this game left Earth, um, mm-hmm. and it it really won me over. And to to be able to win me over after what it had put me through, it had to do what it did. Um, and Hell being yeah. just over the top and these mind bending moments that it brings to the table, uh, some of those missions, the one that pe- the, the one that people are always talking about, it is that good. It really is. Mm-hmm. Um, so, man, the, the the writing was really good at the end. Uh, the the characters, the locations, the atmosphere. The I even I even warmed up to the combat a good bit. That was one. Um, hang up for me uh in my first playthrough is like i don't know what to make of this but i started getting my bearings i kind of figured out the ebb and flow of the pacing and i'm like okay i kind of know how to work effectively now um so yeah man i i have to say that i fought through a lot for a long time to see if this game had what everybody else said that it had going for it and i have to be honest man it does it really really does so yeah um this is one of the examples of what I kind of hinted at at the beginning of the episode where I'm like, some games are making some noise on my top 10 that I didn't think would be there. Uh, and yeah. yeah, this one, this one, this one beelined up my rankings pretty quickly. So I'm a happy camper, yeah. despite what I went yeah, through. Yeah, I'll be honest. My, the game was on my top 10 list. Uh, I know those who've heard the show, I've, I was kind of mixed at the end just because of some of the, some of the, 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 the things that were left unanswered. But um, as time has gone by, I've thought about this game more and more, and it's just been one of those things where, you know, recency bias has worked uh, worked against it a little bit, and now well, the further removed I am from it, the more I'm like, man, nothing has, no game has done or made me feel the way this game has made me feel in terms of its story and narrative. Yeah. And I've actually gone back and, and, and played the new plus and I'm actually, and I'm actually p- putting some really good time into that as well. And I'm kind of reliving those moments. And I'm like, and I know what's coming next, but it's just like, man, they, they really telegraph some of that stuff really nicely. Yeah. And it's, yeah, this, the, it, it was in the lower part of my list and, you know, it's it's skyrocketed up there for sure i'm having some dilemmas here in terms of other games that are on my list as to where i would rank alan wake 2 but it's gonna be pretty high because i it's it's just so good it it really is It, it it everything you heard about the narrative in terms of the big swings that they took all that is true and it isn't like oh they tried it's like they tried and they landed some power shots they they really they really had and then the whole thing that you talked about the one mission everybody's talking about i'm glad that you liked that i was kind of like i wonder what mark was gonna feel about this and i i'm glad you didn't watch the um the game awards uh performance because out of context what but now that you realize (laughs) what that is like okay that makes sense but yeah i'm glad that you enjoyed it um that you loved it because i i sure loved it and i and i want that this game to get its flowers uh next week so i'm thinking that that this game is going to get some some love from us here uh yeah no, no question i mean um what really struck me the most about this game, and I don't want to spend too much time on it because I know we talked about it a lot the last several weeks, but 
um, is how how much everything that this game does in terms of characters and, and narrative really sticks. Now, a lot of it is very obtuse. There's a lot of things I got to go back and play the the game again to kind of understand certain things. But like, mm-hmm. I remember every character from that game. They, this they, Remedy does such a great job of making every character memorable, even like the 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 tertiary characters that you wouldn't even like know to care, like Mulligan and Thornton, and you know right, Emo right. and Yako and all those guys. Like they they do a really interesting job, and they do this thing where they they pair people together. It's Saga mm-hmm. and it's uh, Alex Casey. It's Odin and Tor. It's Mulligan and Thornton. It's Yako and, and Ilmo. It's it, they do that in a way um, that I think is really effective um, because they know how to make characters sort of feed off of each other and and yeah. contrast them uh, perfectly, and then you end up remembering the duo that that you right. saw so they, they do a lot of really interesting things there um among many other stuff uh artistically oh, yeah. that just i think is undeniably brilliant um so yeah um i would what i would say is if any of you have been kind of like on the fence waiting it out um currently it's on sale on xbox i think it's like 20 percent off what i would do is if if you want it but you don't want to deal with the issues that i was talking about get it now while it's on sale wait until next month and uh, hopefully the next patch will fully address the issues that I was talking about with the audio. And then I think go ahead and just play the hell out of it because I think you're going to have an amazing time. But uh, yeah, and yeah. I, right now it's rough, though. It is a little rough right yeah. now. And, and I played on Xbox and I didn't have that many issues with the cutscenes at first. But towards the end, you know, I, I definitely started running into them. Yeah. My second playthrough, the one that I'm playing right now, I actually got to see the, the, the intro because when Alan Wake 2 comes up, Oh, the, the title first card? time I played through, yeah. that didn't that didn't that didn't show up for me. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I was like, "Wait, is this new?" I'm like, "No, I actually didn't see this." So they're, they're, they fixed some things. The intro is definitely desync to hell in terms of that opening cutscene. Yeah. But yeah, so far it's 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 been okay. But definitely, if, if you don't want to deal with any of the issues, like Marco said, definitely wait on that on that patch because it needs it. Yeah. Yeah. When they when they finally fix this thing, it's going to be a beast. Yeah, no mm-hmm. question. Um, but the second game I wanted to uh, quickly provide an update about is Baldur's Gate 3. So, uh, as some of you know, I waited for the Xbox version to come out uh, instead of getting the PS5 version. I just kind of wanted to play it on Xbox um, for the extra performance boost. Turns out, according to Digital Foundry, uh, it's kind of at or a little bit below PS5 version. But the VRR capabilities of Xbox are better than PS5. So, I'm like, you know, that's where oh, I yeah. get it. So, you know, last week I kind of talked about my early impressions and I was a little bit, I, I, I think I came away basically admiring the game for what it's attempting to do, but I didn't really feel like anything that it was doing uh, in terms of the story and the world and the characters was really hitting uh, with me on any kind of meaningful level. That's totally changed. Oh, yeah. Um, this game is brilliant. This game oh, yeah. is incredible. I... um. When I finished Alan Wake, I'm like, all right, I got to circle back. I got to get back on Baldur's Gate because I want to play more of that for more game of the year conversations that you and I have to have. And I'm like, okay, let me just kind of lock it in and, and just push through and keep playing. Um, I'm still on act one, mind you. I'm not super far ahead, but I've gotten to the point where a lot of plot threads are starting to make some moves now. Characters are starting to get more fleshed out. Relationships are starting to build. There's tension in the room with some of the, you know, the companions I'm with. So now things are starting to kind of come together in this way where when people, when things are happening, I'm so locked in to the story now. And 
everybody's personalities. I'm starting to, you know, like this person. I don't like this person. And, you know, and, and they're written in a way where it's not, it's not like you don't like certain characters because they're just, you know, poorly written. It's just that they're made to be unlikable to a certain degree and it's effective. So I've really started falling in love with the narrative in a pretty big way. And then that has just kind of bled into a lot of other things like the, you know, the, the, um, the, the combat and the exploration one thing that I really did to help recontextualize the game in my head was um, I have to treat this like a Dungeons and Dragons experience. Like it's a first time thing for me. And to do that, I, I, I did lower the difficulty down to the bottom one just to get my bearings. Yep. So I'm not getting my ass kicked while I'm trying to understand what's going on. Um, and I took a little bit more time to learn about the combat system a bit more and, and like, you know, watch some more videos on how to get better. Um, and I also made some changes to who I'm bringing with me. Um, and that has made a huge difference now where I'm right. finding the Same combat to be, me. yeah, the combat is super fun now. Um, I, I love kind of the, the, the tactics of it all because I feel like I, I have a better grasp of what's going on. Um, yeah. the last thing I'll say is, um, what I also like about this game from a D and D standpoint is that it's not so much a game about main quests and side quests and, and, and that kind of thing. It's, it's really a game about encounters, it's really mm-hmm. about what you stumble into as you're kind of roaming around and seeing what's what's out there. Um, and they, they handle that in a really effective way where you just happen upon two people arguing about something and you walk in there and see what's going on. You can interject, you can leave, you can uh, pick a side. And then that just starts this whole chain of events that you wouldn't have ever thought would happen just from watching two NPCs talk to each other. So it really does encourage um, kind of getting a feel of your surroundings and, you know, figuring out who you want to talk to and um, really being curious as you play the game in a way where I, I appreciate it com- compared to the traditional like, hey, this person has an icon over their head because they have a side quest to give you. It's a lot more, it feels a little bit more organic, I guess, is what I'm trying to say in, yeah. in that encounter type of sense. So I'm really liking this game a lot now. Yeah. And sometimes you run into those NPCs that turn into these kind of like long-winded missions and you're like, wait, how would this game function without this since this was a random encounter? And so there's so many different things that I've seen in Act 1 that I didn't even do uh, and I thought that I pretty much did Act 1 to the to the most that I could possibly do and and there was so much that I missed. And the the interesting thing, Marco, the thing that you're kind of uh, talking about is, is, is... is a little different from mine because I didn't feel that way till I got to Act Two, mm. and Act Two and towards the end of Act Two, that's when the real game begins in terms of like a traditional boss shows up, the the, the main villain shows up, the um, the the story evolves from just you trying to find the cure for the tadpole in your head, like the real story itself. It really takes it a long time to kind of come into fruition. However, it's not really that much of a slow burn in terms of like. This, in terms of the narrative, because there's so much going on around the world that that really kind of you, you don't realize like, oh wait, my main objective still says cure the find a cure for your tadpole. That's your main objective for so long, and you're like, is that it? This is what this is, and then that evolves. And right now, I I, I ran into a little bit of an issue, um, not a technical issue though. I've had some of those, but a, a difficulty spike that I just couldn't get through, and then. I, I strategized a little bit, didn't even go too hardcore, and I managed to, to instead of going in gun-ho, I, I kind of looked at the weaknesses and, and of, of each of those uh, enemy types, and I was able to kind of get through that pretty easily. Uh, but yeah, man, I 
the game has only gotten better for me. Uh, I did mention I had some technical issues. There have been some kind of bummer ones where the, this epic uh, uh, cutscenes happening and it's just smarred with 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 pop in and and, and weird camera angles. Yeah, this pop in on that, the Xbox version too. Yeah, yeah. But other than that, man, I'm I'm at a point right now in this game where it is truly blowing me away. And I and I've had to walk back a lot of the things that I said about uh, the game itself. But even so. Um, I, I, there's so many games out here to this year that I don't know where Boulder's Gate 3 is going to end on my list, but it's definitely going to be on there. Um, you know, if we get to beat it right before, because one of our things, we, how, how are we dealing with this one? Yeah, we might have to make an exception to this one, man, because, and, and I hate to do that because I, I was like keeping a firm, like line in the sand about it. But our rule for those of you that are wondering is we don't try to nominate anything for game of the year that we haven't finished, unless it's like an ongoing game or a multiplayer game where there is no roll credits for it per se. Um, Baldur's Gate 3 is going to be an interesting one. I, I don't know. Maybe we should make an exception for it because not only because the time it came out on Xbox, which doesn't, it wouldn't be realistic to finish this game yeah. without like rushing through it and not having fun. But also it's just not one of those games that's made to be, um, there's no real finish line for it because you, you play it again, you get a whole different experience. The, you, the context of the game might be completely different the second time and the third time. So beating it is a very weird term for Baldur's Gate and, 3. You know what I mean? And those who've beat the game already actually haven't beat it because now they added a prologue. And so there's more to that game. Yeah. And I think a lot of what we're saying here is it's it's part of... The thing that makes Baldur's Gate 3 is the experience. It's not really just finishing the game itself. And so... Um, I think we should make the exception. Yeah, uh, because we'll make we'll make, it, we'll make a one time exception for this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. because I feel like it, it makes a lot of sense uh, for for this game in particular. You yeah, know? And, and and this is a game that's uh, technically ongoing because Larian said they're going to keep adding story stuff. They're going to keep adding things as time goes on. This isn't a one off. Like they're not done with this story. There's a lot of story to be told here, according to them. Mm -hmm. And I'm excited for that. You know, if this is a game that I can tap into every once in a while and and, and kind of you know, have a, another a narrative experience with a new character or, or an existing character. I'm all for it. So yeah, I'm good with that exception. Well, you heard it, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it's going to be on the, it's going to be in the discussion. We'll just say that mm -hmm. we don't know where it's going to end up being in our top tens personally or at our combined list, but we'll, we will, we will be factoring it in. Uh, but that, right. that is good. Yeah. But, so yeah, in closing um, between Alan Wake two and Baldur's Gate three, and just the way that I'm kind of looking at some of the games I played earlier in the year, yeah, man, my list is getting a little. It's getting it, it, business is picking up, and I'm going to be very curious to see where my my list ultimately lands. Because oh, yeah. like right now, apart from maybe the the top two games that I have, everything else has been shuffling. Everything else. Yeah, I I felt the same way. Except my number one is locked. Uh, but two to ten. It, it, there's some movement going on. Yeah. There's some movement happening. Not not too drastically in the top five, but definitely some movement happening there. But yeah, it's an embarrassment of riches, Marco. I've actually am experiencing kind of that uh, myself. I mean, I, I thought it was time to, for me to go ahead and delve into Street Fighter Six, which is the first game that I'll be talking about here. Nice. Um, you know, a lot of people have talked about it being the best game, the best year of gaming. I've said it's the year of surprises, but honestly, it's also the year of the fighting game. I, I think that they're coming back with, with, with Mortal Kombat 1, with Street Fighter 6, and with Tekken 8 coming out in a few weeks, it's kind of been great for the fighting community. And so, you know, my relationship with Street Fighter, I think, 
if if you're as old as I am, you know, you go back to Street Fighter 2 as, as kind of the, the pinnacle of fighting games for a long time. Uh, but it's never been a franchise that stuck with me. Uh, so with that uh, kind of Street Fighter 2 nostalgia aside, I can't recall ever really enjoying any other uh, Street Fighter game. But here I am uh, playing Street Fighter 6, and I have to say... Um, other than I feel like I'm about to break my Elite 2 controller with all the sma- well, all the button mashing that I'm doing <laughs> in this game, I'm really, really enjoying my time with Street Fighter VI. First thing I kind of want to talk about is, is the presentation and art style. It's just absolutely stunning. I mean, I it's it's incredible. Uh, the 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 the, the pre fight intros. They're repetitive after a while, but man, they're so good. Uh, I think that they couple that with some jaw-dropping, beautiful art style that they do with, with it, which is kind of straddles the line between cartoonish and realistic. I think that art style really, really, really works really well for it. Um, Gameplay-wise, the classic control scheme is, is still here. Um, and if you're familiar with that, uh, you're, you're going to be right at home here. But the new modern control scheme they have... I was kind of poo-pooing it at first. I'm like, I'm going to play this traditionally. I, I don't have the skill set. I, I'm that's I'm not that guy. Same. So I went to the modern, and it isn't like an easy mode. It, it just kind of modernizes the controls. It, it kind of maps the the specials, like the Hayukits, or, or if you're playing Kana Ryu, two, two, eight, one button. But everything else, you do have to kind of do yourself in terms of combos and reading the other players. So a lot of that is still there. But I, I, I really like that they managed to to kind of cook up a control scheme that doesn't make you feel like you're cheating but also makes it makes it a the entry level acceptable like you you definitely are feeling like you, you you're putting some work in even though it's not the traditional uh, the traditional uh, control scheme um you know I, I I would have to say I would even have to say like even with that, just kind of to get the idea out there, like if you're playing a button masher and you're playing the modern, uh, the modern control scheme, nine times out of ten, you're, you're going to be able to 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 beat that that um, that uh, player because you know one of the things about Street Fighter Six, it's a lot of strategizing going in. Uh, it's a lot. It's all about reaction, not just action in terms of how the other player is playing. So that still gives you the ability to do that. Um, and then I also have to talk about kind of like the open world uh, uh, of it all, where they, they have the single player campaign. That I haven't really invested too much time in. I will say though, uh, comparatively speaking, it's probably the weakest thing that they have because of the simple fact that graphically it's not very beautiful to look at. That art style in motion, other than in the fighting scenarios, isn't very like astonishing. But I, I, I like the fact that they, they, they're doing more with that single player campaign where it's not just arcade mode, kind of go through a ladder of fighting and, and that's it. Really, what you're doing here is you're creating your own person. I created my person, Geralt of Rivia. Uh, looks exactly like <laughs> Geralt, and I'm I'm fi- I'm playing through the game, and it's and it's exactly that. You're trying to be the best street fighter, and you're going out there and you're uh, engaging in fights uh, on the street, and it's really cool. <laughs> There's some story moments. You really broke uh, out that there. one down. <laughs> They, they, they really did, they did fights on the street <laughs> because the street fighter baby and it's six it's six of them they really finally got their shit down um <laughs> yeah. why am i fighting in an airport hangar this is street fighter give me a street uh so plenty of streets there to fight on but look I, I, ultimately for me kind of where i'm at with street fighter 6 it's definitely a game that is if you're a street fighter fan this is this has to be the end all be all this has to be the culmination of so many years of you waiting for the perfect street fighter game because even for me as a non-street fighter fan uh i am a i am pretty it's a pretty jaw-dropping experience throughout um it is ultimately at the end of the day a fighting game so it's not really a game that i'm gonna be able to uh 
put that much time into other than 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 kind of playing some arcade matches but jumping into online and getting my ass beat a few times but it's a fun experience it's a lot more uh it's a lot more fun than i thought i would ever have in a street fighter game and it's definitely a game that i get i'm going to keep on my rotation for a little bit to kind of just a palate cleanser have a few matches here play a little bit of the single player stuff uh but it is a good time it was on sales it was like 35 dollars or something like that i had to pick it up then and it was uh i'm not uh, upset about that so that's good um that i did that yeah, and I, then well real quick yeah. um yeah go for it is there anything of like anything to write home about in terms of story in then in that single player mode or is it just kind of like a glorified tutorial go out in this weird hub and have fun kind of thing or is there anything like gluing it together well, yeah so well yes and no basically you are you meet a teacher mm-hmm. and your main motivation is to be the best Ooh. i mean it did it, it Right. Look uh, out, what, Alan Wake. Stuff? We got a we got uh, a contender for narrative of the year, man. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so basically, yes, you get the little tutorial stuff in the beginning, and then they throw you onto the small map but open world kind of thing. Uh-oh. And they go, Hey, yeah. start fights with about three or four people. You do that, you beat them, and then they start there's other kind of narrative threads that happen. Basically, everybody there is trying to be the best of the best, and everything you do is you're trying to kind of you know, outdo all of them. Okay. And that's basically it. However, there are some things where, like you can eat some food that'll give you some specific power-ups. Uh, they, they, there's an RPG element to it, but it's very thin. Yeah. Um, I, I just like the fact that you're in this pretty lived in world where there's a lot of people there doing random things you could fight pretty much all of them if you wanted to just run up to them and press x and start to fight with them uh but yeah so far from what i've what i've gathered in my time with that single player experience it's very paper thin um but it is fun it it is a fun experience it's not going to challenge mortal Kombat in its narrative uh you know there it's not going to do that though the arcade mode there is narratives in that as, as well. Oh, cool. You know, I played through I played through Ken's uh, arcade mode and he got framed for murder or something like that and he has to fight his way to kind of clear his name. Doesn't make mm. any sense why he's fighting to clear his name, but <laughs> he's doing that. Um, and, you know, there's a little bit of a, not a cutscene, but there's some kind of like... Uh, like pictures and, and and little things are showing and him and and him oh, talking okay. over that stuff and kind of explaining what's happening. Okay. It, it, there's a lot there. The online stuff is cool because you could put into this like into this like uh, HUD and you could. There's it's kind of like Destiny in, in mm-hmm. that one the HUD area. World, yeah. There's all yeah the overworld. There's a whole bunch of people there. You can talk to them. You can go into arcade cabinet and people will sit in front of it and then you you both can fight. So it, there's cool. there's a lot of that. So it, it's it's actually really cool. It, it's a really cool overall experience. The whole package presentation is top-notch uh so they they put a lot of thought into it maybe with more time in street fighter 7 that single player open world stuff gets more fleshed out but as of right now it's pretty paper thin all good yeah i mean it's it sounds like a feature complete experience which is really awesome so yeah absolutely i'm glad it's i'm glad it's hitting for you especially at a discount as well but you got more to cover man so i'm going to kick it back to you what else you got Marco, this game is the only game so far that's been able to kind of pull me away from no life theme Baldur's gate 3 and this is a surprise game for me because obviously I've heard of this game uh, and people have really talked about it, especially in podcasts recently, kind of when people talk about RPGs. And that's Star Ocean, the second story R. Uh, you know, I, I in a year where, where Baldur's Gate 3, uh, Starfield, and Sea of Stars have dominated the RPG conversations, uh, you know, with BG3, uh, BG3 being lauded as the best game of all time, Starfield breaking PlayStation fans' brains, and, and Sea of Stars being this year's indie darling, other RPGs have been lost in the shadows of those games. And I think it's been an incredible year for RPGs. 
and Star Ocean is 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 proof of that. It's 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 just one of those games that really came out of nowhere for me. I know that we we played the demo and you weren't a big fan of the the art style in that it had kind of a two different art styles with with a more realistic looking world right. and the and the pixelized uh the characters. I actually really love that about the game. I think the dichotomy between the dichotomy between that and, and the characters they really stand out and it, it really gives a really unique visual experience that I have not seen other than maybe uh you know octopath traveler but this takes it a little bit more uh in terms of the difference because the the, the world is very much realistic looking quote unquote even though it is art, there is an art style to it um i have to say uh this game this year has been a difficult year for me for gaming because i am a person that gravitates to games that have heart have narrative and there's been some games that have that but there's been a lot of games that have been technically good but have missed a little bit of the heart and this game is all heart man from from the from the from the onset you jump into the story it doesn't kind of beat around the bush at all you know i'll give you a quick overview yeah you're i played as claude um i picked him and you get uh, sucked away into this world and people automatically mistake you for the hero of light and because you have a like a phaser gun that you use, which that doesn't exist in that world. And so very quickly, you, you kind of convince them that you're not. But there's a calamity that is engulfing the world around them. And what they need to do is they, they need to investigate that. And Claude very selfishly, admittedly, uh, says that he'll investigate it because he feels that's the way he can get back home. And so it automatically throws you out into this adventure where you're going from town to town, kind of helping people with their problems, because every problem that each town has is based off of this uh, meteorite that that hit uh, and is, is causing all kinds of trouble in the world. And so going from town to town, you get to recruit players. It's very intricate in that way, because if you recruit a player and they have a relationship, good or bad, with another player, if you pick that player, you're no longer able to recruit that other um, mm-hmm. uh, that other NPC, and there's about twelve total NPCs. You can end up finishing the game, and 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 kind of pissing off a lot of NPCs and not having a full party. Uh, so th- that's already interesting. Uh, and the RPG elements are are very easy to get into, very accessible. It it should be stated if you guys look at this game, it looks like it would be another traditional turn based ac- uh, a turn based uh, JRPG. It is not. It's an action. Uh, RPG. It has a lot of the elements that you would expect from a JRPG, turn-based JRPG, but it's all given to you where you can actually freely move around and and, and it's all real-time action combat, which is really dope. I think that's a really cool uh, kind of twist to it. And apparently that's that was like the thing that really uh, people gravitated towards back in yeah. 1999 yep. when the first game came out. This is the first game, this is the second game in the series for the first game that came out in the, in the United States and it came out on the PlayStation and people really loved it. It, it wears this Final Fantasy inspiration on its sleeve all the way up to the Victory Song where it almost sounds like the, <laughs> yeah, the Final Fantasy, but then it, it yeah. changes... Yeah, the change a little bit. So I really like that. It has a lot of that stuff that you would expect from a Final Fantasy game. Um, fully voiced. The voice acting is okay, what you would expect from a, from from, yeah. from one, some of these games. But man, I, I love the character interactions. I love the relationships that you have in this game. I, I the combat, which I already mentioned, and I think the story itself is is really interesting uh, because you know 
at this point, it doesn't seem like Claude is the hero of light and everything that he's doing is pretty selfish reasons, even though himself he's a nice guy. But I, I really like that the world around you and how the lore and the world and, and the, the stories that are, are being told throughout that world really kind of paint a really nice picture in terms of what you're trying to do there. So I it's been one of those games that I it's I looked up how long to beat about 25 to 30 hours yeah it's not about crazy. halfway yeah not crazy at all about halfway through that if not more and I'm I'm enjoying the, I'm obsessed with this game I and I can't really put my finger on it because even though I the narrative is good the combat is good it's not great right it, it doesn't it's not doing everything great but it's consistently good. And because it has that heart, I'm really gravitating to the characters themselves. And so, it, it, it's it for me. I know that you weren't a fan of the art style, so that's kind of hard to get past. But I, I really do think if you were to, if if this was a game that artistically or visually kind of uh, it, interested you, you would enjoy the hell out of this game. I feel like yeah. this is a Marco ass game. Yeah. I, uh, I, well, but, I mean, I've, I I remember playing the original of this game oh, back okay. in the day, so I, I have a faint memory of a lot of it. Um, so I I. Admittedly, I have I didn't beat it back then because I, I, yeah. I was too young to understand how to play an RPG at that point anyway. But uh, I um, I always knew like this this game in particular um, before the remake was like the the big one for the series. So right. it, for some reason, it was just kind of all the stars and planets aligned, and they they found a way to kind of make everything just work and just click. Um, so I'm not too surprised that. Uh, it's doing the same thing for you because a lot of Star Ocean fans uh, feel the same way. Like this, this game just did everything just right in a where in a weird way where it is that catnip kind of experience for people. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it does make sense. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's I'm loving the hell out of this game. Uh, I'll, come, I'll try I, it out. I, I'll try it out. I'll come. I'll come yeah, man. I, yeah, I think you should. And I and um yeah uh and then um real quick before I get to my last game. I downloaded the the trial version for this game called uh, Shadow Gambit: The Curse Crew, and I had to stop playing it because <sighs> I love this. I love Dishonored, right? Mm-hmm. This is Dishonored in a, in a kind of like that asymmetrical kind of view, um, and it is awesome. But I had to stop playing it because I just don't have the the the, the bandwidth to to kind of keep playing all these games. I am going to come back to it. Unfortunately, it's not going to game that's going to I'm going to be able to talk about uh for end of year stuff, but it definitely is a game that perhaps next year when we do a revisionist history kind of a revisionist uh our, our top 10 list, this might make it because so far from what I played from it, it 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 was blowing me away. But I did have to stop playing it and I'll 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 talk about that What's in it called the future. Again? It's called Shadow Gambit: The Curse Crew. This is the same team that made Despr- uh, Desperado Three. Oh, okay. Where are you um, playing it? Yeah. Where's where's it? Is it on all the consoles or? It's on the consoles. I'm playing it on Xbox. Okay, yeah. got it. Cool. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So I'm loving that. But the uh, the the last game I'm playing is God of War Ragnarok Valhalla. Um, have to admit, when I saw Kratos kind of paddle across the screen during the Game Awards, I was pretty intrigued. I know that Marco thought the game was fine, and I thought the game was good. Wow, controversy, right? Um, I, I think the the new incarnation of the of the God of War games are well made, and I will always be curious about what's next for them. Uh, but when the wind was taken out of me a little bit when they said it was a roguelike inspired content, and it's not that I don't like roguelike games, it's that I hate them. Uh, that that's my problem, with roguelike you know, games. What's wrong with so, you, man? Why? You- so many people love that game. Jeff Grubb had a had had a uh, tweet that says make all games uh, roguelikes, and people were like, so I was like, is this is this insanity? Like, I don't understand why people love roguelikes. 
However, I have to say, it, it, it it's it's actually a pretty. It's not really roguelike, more like a roguelite. You do get okay. to keep all your weapons. Uh, there are permanent uh, upgrades. Uh, this is a lot more like Returnal, where there are upgrades that you keep, and the upgrades are like strength, uh, you know, uh, mm. uh, vitality, that kind of stuff. You do get to keep as you go in. What's What's interesting to me, and what's kind of get what's kind of like having me keep playing the game is you can end your run two ways: dying, obviously, like roguelites, or reaching a certain moment in the game where a story moment happens and once that story moment happens then you 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 end up back at the beginning and the reason for that is because freya tells you you're you're not ready to know the truth of what's happening here and basically what this is it is a history of of kratos and his time not only in present time but what he did in the past with um uh in sparta all that, all his his all his enemies and histories are coming back and kind of haunting him a little bit, and he's kind of um, he's kind of coming to terms with everything that happened n- with with uh, Ragnarok and what happened before, which is something that he's done throughout the series. But this is more direct. This is more specific. You get visual aspects of it. You get things that you saw from the previous games. Even some of the music is from the 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 original. Like they they're really going home. It's a really it. I hate this term. I really hate it, and I've heard people. Say say it so many times but I, it, it, it kind of fits here it's a love letter to kratos in terms of his history and i really like it because those story moments are keeping are are have me keep going back and it doesn't feel like a complete roguelike where oh god am i gonna get the the am i gonna get my leviathan axis run am i gonna get the the, the blades of chaos no you have all those three at all times the the things that are temporary to upgrade are kind of like rage stuff and, and stuff that it, it, like combo moves that go with each of those mm. weapons those and, and cooldown stuff and, and, and luck percentages that you know may may uh might devy out a, a critical hit but it doesn't feel that roguelike to me however what does feel roguelike is the re- the repetition of the areas you see those a lot and that, that kind of does it's not great but there's some awesome visual stuff there, there's a moment where you look up and you see the skyline of sparta and all those gods it, it they have this game is still very beautiful to look at and it has nice. a lot of really cool stuff like that so it is not that bad of a of an entry here it's it's not it's definitely not an afterthought it's not it, it's this is something they put a lot of thought into it and you know i think somebody asked why is this free and santa monica uh studios uh they responded said this is just kind of thanking you guys for supporting us and w- wanting to give you just a little bit more of the narrative um and uh, according to what people are saying this game does set up some more narrative stuff so the dlc might not be over there might be some more stuff coming out that's more traditional uh I, Marco, I, I, it's free. I would suggest you try it. I, I, I not maybe not right now, but I, I think that you're gonna find the fact that the combat is still the combat, um, and those story elements are really, really cool. They, 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 they really are well made and well written. Mm, may, maybe, maybe. Yeah, it's, it's not gonna be a priority, but you know, it, and it should, and it shouldn't be. Yeah. It shouldn't be a priority. Yeah, yeah, but maybe. I'm glad at least it is. Yeah. It is cool though, and it does kind of sow some seeds for what's to come uh potentially for the future of the series but uh yeah yeah i mean maybe i'll get around to it at some point in time or another but yeah i got other stuff to work on about, yeah because i'm coming from you're coming from a roguelike hater you yeah. know well a I'm, rogue-like just a, hater. I'm just a god of war yeah. hater so you know 
there's that. Well, th- <laughs> that's that. Uh, maybe that, and maybe this is not going to fix that. But <laughs> I don't know. Um, but but listen, I've had my good times with Hades in all those other roguelikes. Mm-hmm. I've had times where I where those games click, and this is one of those for sure. It's clicking with me. It doesn't feel like I need to. It's not a priority at all. But it, I do want to know what's happening in the story, and that and and when it comes to narratives, I'm a sucker for that stuff. And this is interesting stuff happening here. All right. Well. That mm-hmm. is our, uh, that's, I guess, our final loadouts of 2023 before we get into our Game of the Year episodes. So we made sure we kind of gave you a little extended loadout sesh to tell you what we were up to. But uh, it is finally time to move on to the second segment of the show, which is about the news uh, that has been hitting the industry. And we call that Hit Points. For breaking news, rumors, and booty juice, it's time for Hit Points. All right, man. So we have four things on our docket to talk about this week in Hit Points. And uh, the first two are going to be Xbox related. So let's kind of tackle those first. Uh, Starting with the first news item. Last week, Pablo, IGN posted an article titled How to Cancel Your Game Pass Subscription. Um, Very nice. Which, understandably, I think, sent the Xbox community into a frenzy on social media. After months of Xbox tax accusations against IGN and the gaming media at large, many Xbox fans believe that this is yet another example of IGN's alleged agenda against Xbox. Later that evening, IGN posted a similar article on how to cancel PS Plus subscriptions, but at that point, the Xbox community believed that was nothing more than a damage control tactic to save face. So needless to say... Uh, the controversy surrounding Xbox and the gaming media isn't really slowing down, Pablo. So I think it's time for us to kind of unpack this a little bit, talk about the issue, and discuss what we think is really going on. So um, I kind of want to turn it over to you. Do you think there's an mm-hmm. issue with IGN being biased against Xbox? Um, how does this play into the Xbox tax accusations? Where are you landing with this situation right now? I still stand by the Xbox tax not being a real thing in terms of outlets purposely subtracting points for reviews just based on the fact that it's an Xbox game. I do think IGN is leaning into the perception of that for the clicks. I mean, I still believe that the people who work at IGN, people who review games, they have some kind of journalistic integrity and they, and they talk about games fairly. I, I do believe that. Uh, but IGN isn't... Sh- IGN is, is, is a conglomerate and they survive off of engagement. And I think the thing that they're doing here is that they're seeing the conversations being had and they have no limit as to how toxic they are. They are going to try their very best to engage in that. In, in the most weird ways. And this is a weird-ass fucking way to do that. Just talk about how to unsubscribe from from Game Pass. Um, and, and it just feels like for them, it, it's it's a way for them to get more clicks, for them to get those hate engagements, or, or from the PlayStation fans, the love engagements. It, it's just, it's fucked up. Because, you know, you have IGN, which is like the Walmart of... of, of, of of game coverage in terms of like they're massive they're huge but that's a funny they're not exactly giving you out like the 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 most thought-provoking articles either but you know the the fact remains is is they're huge they're massive everybody goes to ign most people go to ign for either love or for hate ign is 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 always um is always relevant when talking about video games and so seeing that big company like that kind of uh engaging in that toxic 
conversation really sucks with with these things. They they retweeted a how to beat article about games that um that people fell off the most and a lot of Xbox games were on there without giving context about why Game Pass would be a factor into that. So that weird retweets, things like that just goes to show for me at least proves the fact that they're just really trying to engage in the bullshit so they can get some engagement. And that's that um, because that's you, I would expect better from them. Yeah. Um, you know, look, I, I, I'll just be very direct. I think IGN is biased against Xbox. I think it's, it is true. Um, and I think that that's an argument that's been hard to prove by the Xbox community because people from IGN constantly try to counter those accusations by saying, well, we gave Forza Horizon 5 a high score. Look at this positive article we wrote about Xbox. And, and I don't think that they realize that that doesn't really prove the accusation wrong. What it proves is that getting unbiased coverage about Xbox is a crapshoot. And so that does not translate to, oh, you're actually not biased or you're not playing the hate engagement game. Um, it means that it's it's really a roll of the dice. It depends on who's writing the article, depends on what they've been instructed to write, um, how you're going to advertise and promote that post, and or even if you are, and then you know who you're trying to really target as well. And so when you think about this whole article about how to cancel your Game Pass subscription, that's that's essentially like a support article uh, in a way. So it's already weird as it is that IGN would be writing something about that as it is because that doesn't really fit into the ethos of what they're really trying to do. Um, it's a silly article to begin it with. It is. And and IGN would not I mean unless you're just trying to play the the algorithm game and the SEO game online then you know i guess that's one thing but it's still a weird thing to do and if no one in that company thought to think okay wait if we post this this might get some shit from the xbox community come on man I mean, I, I think they knew what they were doing here. I think it was very oh, deliberate. Oh, I do too. Um, yeah. and, and I think they were very much like, yeah, let's 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 do this and let's see what happens. Um, as far as the, the PS Plus subscription one that they posted later in, later that evening, um, I think that's it. I don't think they had that one planned. I think that was something to, to definitely save face. So I guess to kind of roll because that. It, oh, well, go ahead. Go ahead. If it was planned, they would release them both at the same time. Yeah, it's just yeah, exactly. Yeah. So why 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 stack quick, them out? Real quick, uh, just to go back on 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 what you said that you believe there's bias against Xbox. So you believe the bias comes from the the simple fact that what Xbox position is currently in the in the gaming world, in terms of like it being in last place in terms of the sales of consoles and whatnot. Um, or do you think there's something else there? Do you think it's just the history of Sony and yeah. and, and, and it's probably yeah. a mixture of things. Honestly, it's probably mm-hmm. some people don't love Microsoft. I think there's there's that, you know, okay. it's yeah, just being yeah. micro. You, know, you can look at it from the Xbox lens or you can say, wow, Microsoft is really greedy or they've always been shady. Some people don't like the, how they've contributed to the consolidation in the industry. And so there could be some agendas okay. against them from that perspective. It's hard to say for sure. Maybe some people just don't think that the games that they 
produce um, stack up. You know, they certainly haven't made a great case for themselves over the years with the Red Falls of the world. So I can understand why. But I think that could be creating a stigma to be a little bit more skeptical and a little bit more harsh towards Xbox games because uh, we're used yeah, to them underperforming or not being up to par. So there could be a lot of different levers in, in play here. What I would say is that whatever the reasons are, um, there's multiple people in that organization that are um, letting that bleed into the content that goes up on IGN. Um, so the problem is 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 not a one or two person issue. The problem is it's multiple people, and some of those people are the ones that make the big decisions at IGN. So that's why I think that there is bias because these these pieces are getting greenlit, and they're not going through some type of filter process internally mm-hmm. where they're going, is this going to make us look bad? Because I don't think they care about that, especially if it's going to garner buzz, especially if it's going to get clicks, um, especially if it's going to lead to people clicking the article and going to the comment section and bashing them they don't care what what kind of comments they get they're getting they're getting engagement and so that's all that matters right right? now how that rolls into the xbox tax accusations um i think that whether people believe in xbox tax or not i think it gives credence to the to the argument right um i think that people are getting too hung up on the term xbox tax and not really looking into the meaning of what it is and i think that it does play Back to what I said about the stigma of Xbox or the stigma about Microsoft as this major trillion dollar you know, uh, organization and how that affects the way people look at things. It also speaks to people preferring PlayStation to such a degree that they just kind of look at Xbox in this very weak third place um, position and uh, you know, almost pity them. In, in a weird way, um, it, the psychology of, of gaming media is is why I think this whole Xbox tax accusation exists in the first place, because it does show through um, what, what I think the Xbox tax comes from, from a journalistic perspective, is a lot of people that make their articles about themselves uh, in this in this business. Now, I hate to be the old head, but back in the day content about video games reviews about video games never had the words i me or my or we in anything now it's everywhere it's about the reviewer's experience and when you make it about you instead of about the game or or the console or whatever you're writing about you're opening the door for um a lot of things like this to happen because if you're going to put your yourself in the mix and make it about you then whatever preferences you have whether you call it bias or not it's going to show through in your content because you're not making it about the game the, the object of the review is to make a recommendation to me whether it's worth purchasing or not based on the graphics the gameplay the but when i'm hearing more about what you like and what you don't like oh i i never play side quests so you know, I didn't like the side quests in this game. That's it's hard for me to believe in you. And when that's coming through, in uh, you know, in terms of Xbox being the issue for some people, uh, and when we can pull up tweets from years ago of you saying X Y Z negatively about the company, I think you got to understand that whether you intend for it to be the case or not, you are contributing to the problem of Xbox being kind of wrongfully stigmatized. Everybody knows Xbox is last place. We don't need a reminder. We don't need people to tap us on the shoulder every five minutes and say, Xbox is losing. Of course they're losing, but it doesn't need to to affect the way you write about a game. And so I just think that um, 
you know, whether it's intentional for, you know, for engagement purposes or whether it's incidental, just because people like to write about their own experiences in this business. I think that the Xbox tax term, whether you like that term or not, I do think that the meaning behind it is real and does exist. Not in a massive capacity where every media outlet's doing it, but I think to some degree it is out there. It's not a coincidence that it's out there um, and people yep. are talking about it. So that's me. Yeah, I think there's a right way to, to talk about your experience about a game as to how it directly affects you. But when you start talking about specifics about Xbox games or the way those games are made and how yeah. you don't like those games and you're that's when it gets a little bit like all right I because I for me I'm always I'm always finding the people that I trust when it comes to game reviews like you know one of the one of the one of the few people that I really a group of people that I really look forward to the reviews is God is a geek because I, I feel like sensibility wise they're very much in tune with how I feel about games and how I see games and and you know you, the, many times they review games right with uh, with the media but you do see outliers in a, in a lot of the reviews because they're not they're not afraid to talk about what they like about the game in terms of how it's their own experience but it's never been about like well as you know, I love PlayStation. It's not ever been about that. So yeah. when IGN and you have an, an IGN specific, a PlayStation specific show with hosts that are PlayStation fans, Xbox specific show with Xbox fans, and then they you see Ryan McCaffrey reviewing a PlayStation game, and it, it, it gets a little bit kind of like, all right, do we trust that? And that's when it gets a little bit weird, and especially Xbox having the issues it's had in the past. Uh, it does feel like, at the very least. Uh, when they review games, the Xbox games have more to prove, so they put they're a little harder on them at yeah. times. You know. Yeah, and also yeah. last thing I'll say is um, to the PlayStation thing. I think a lot of the Xbox tax has also to do with the fact that a lot of media outlets don't want to piss off Sony. They don't. Right. So sometimes the Xbox tax shows through in the way that if a negative headline happens at Microsoft, an article will go up about it. If a negative headline happens at Sony there's no article to be found about it. So Correct. I think some people in the media space want to make sure they're not jeopardizing their relationship with PlayStation, especially since they are the market leader. You don't want to write a hit piece about them or anything like that and then risk them pulling you know, uh, review codes or things like that from your um, organization. So I think fear is yeah. also a part of it as well. Um, which I understand you don't want to, you know, you don't want to poke the bear, but at the same time, when your integrity as a company is, is being affected as a result of that, because you're, you're not yeah. afraid to go in on Xbox, but you are afraid to go in on PlayStation. Then I think, again, the Xbox tax, uh, spirit of that is, is real in that sense too. And, it, and, it, and those companies get put in weird positions because, you know, before people, uh, publishers, Sony, Xbox, whatever, they really depended on the IGN, the IGNs of the world to, to kind of talk about their game yeah. and put it out there. But that's not a thing anymore. YouTube content creators, if, 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 if Sony wanted to be like, you know what, we're not giving IGN any exclusives or any review copies because we're going to go ahead and give it to joy to, 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 to dual shock, or we're going to give it to all the PlayStation creators and they're going to give us what we want. Then at that point, that's when it gets a little bit like ah. But still, integrity. Yes, that's what we. That's what we want. And, and and if you're willing to bypass integrity just to to maintain a good relationship, then you're not really doing your job. And that's and that's when it gets weird. Yeah, totally agree. 
Uh, let's move on to the second story, though, Pablo, because we're not done with Xbox coverage just yet. Uh, that's because industry insider Jeff Grubb recently discussed the potential of an Xbox Next coming in 2026 in reference to what another leaker named Kepler suggested uh, back in September. Now, no real information is known as to whether this new console will be a mid-gen upgrade for the Series X or a full-blown next-gen console, Uh, but all we know for now is that the leaked all-digital Xbox Series X SKU um, is now canceled in order Mm -hmm. to get this next Xbox out faster. So... Uh, with this in mind, and of course, if this is true, um, as a caveat, um, how do you feel about this? Yeah, it's it's weird. A little, it's a little weird because I think Phil Spencer has been on record saying that they're not doing a pro. So this leads me to believe that they're trying to corner the market earlier, kind of pull Xbox 360, where Xbox 360 came out a full year before the next uh, PlayStation. That's what I feel like is happening here. Um, you know, Xbox has been kind of marching to the beat of their own drum in terms of how they see su- success. Uh, but still, you know, you can tell by a move like this that console sales. Are is still very important to them. It has to be. You know, I I don't know. We tweeted, I tweeted about. Um, you know, they're not gonna put millions and millions of dollars into uh, you know, research and development, manufacturing, marketing for fun. You know, that's not what they're doing here. They they need to see a positive outcome there. And I feel like this is them taking a step towards that. I think some of the pros it would be like if it is a clear jump forward they'll corner that market early like i said uh we could finally say goodbye to the to the likes of the xbox series s which i feel like is a motivating factor here because of the promises they made with that um and you know they can have a, fr- a good lead depending on, on on the first party games to, to really kind of uh bolster their 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 bolster them within the market uh which is something that they've kind of been uh lacking you know however they could run into some issues if this next Xbox is kind of cloud-based and streaming and things like that. That's not something we would want, and they run the risk of still being outsold by PlayStation Five, technically an older console, and that is embarrassing to kind of behold in that in, in that light. So, you know, there's a lot here. I I think it, I think that this is a good move if if they feel like they have the the um the the content, the software to back it up. Um, one thing that I will say though is uh. Some of the games that are currently in development are they are we gonna get those delayed further so they can get you know developed for this new console? Are third parties going to kind of not take advantage because they're still gotta make games for PlayStation Five and so we're gonna get a third party game that looks just as good as a PS Five even though this Xbox Next has like amazing graphical capacity. So there's a lot of a lot of things that can ha- go wrong here. But you know I, I feel like if if they feel that they need to move on from the Xbox Series X because it, it was a step. It was a stepping stone to where they want to be at, in terms of their next console. Then you know I, I'm I'm here for it, but it, there's a lot of factors that need to go into it for this to, to even work for them. And I hope that they I hope that they have all their all their ducks in a row here because it, it's 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 going to be an uphill battle here to 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 beat Sony and Nintendo and anything. And you know so we'll see what happens. Yeah. It- it actually reminds me a lot about the Wii U, what the Wii U was for the Switch. Mm. Um, it, it's almost like the Series X and S are going to be that stepping stone console to kind of borrow yeah. what you said. Um, I guess I'm of two minds, right? Because on the one hand, I really liked when Phil Spencer said, um, not super long ago either, that they weren't going to try to compete with a 
mid-gen refresh model like what the PS5 Pro is allegedly going to be. Um, I actually uh, kind of applauded that originally because I thought, you know, I want peace of mind knowing that I have the, the best possible Xbox experience and that you're not going to pull the rug out from under me a couple years in, especially given how long we've waited to get really good content on Xbox. Like, I feel like having the Series X up until this point was kind of a waiting game for a while. And now you're telling me, well, now we're back in our, our, our pipelines better, but now you got to go buy a better version of our console. So I'm not I, I'm not really sure about how I feel about it from this perspective, but it is 2026. So it's not like it's happening next year, like the PS5 Pro is rumored to be coming out. But to the to the point of PS5 Pro, I think that's a real big part of why this is a change of strategy for Xbox. Because, and I hate to make this comparison so so plainly, but the Grand Theft Auto Five uh, Six Factor rather is is going to be a big part of this because if if the rumors uh, or the rumblings are true that there's some kind of courtship between PS5 Pro and GTA 6 where at the very least the best version of the game is available on PS5 Pro because it may it may run at 60 frames compared to like every other version then i think that it would be crazy for Microsoft to stick to their guns and not have a more powerful console come out pretty soon to offset some of that because you don't want a gift wrap PlayStation um which is already the lead skew for all intents and purposes of GTA 6. You don't want to gift wrap them sales and just sell like crap on Xbox Series X because nobody wants to play the game at 30 frames on your console. So I do think that to some extent they have to compete with the PS5 Pro um, in this way uh, in order for games as big as GTA 6 and others like it to be played adequately and enjoyed at its absolute peak performance and graphical capabilities. So I do understand it from that perspective um, as well. I guess overall I'm okay with it. Um, it, it does make it a little hard to decide because I, you know, look, I'm one of those people where I, I want to have the best version of it, each console. I, I don't know if I can afford to get both a PS5 Pro and a new Xbox right now. Absolutely uh, kids not. are expensive y'all, but like, hell yeah, I will say that it, it's going to make my decision very interesting. Um, so yeah, another thing I saw uh, when it came to, to this uh, bit of information was that an insider, I forgot who it was, said that Xbox is looking to break the traditional generation cycle where, you know, generation seven, eight, nine, like yeah. they don't want to do that. What they want to do is be able to put out the best console they possibly can whenever they can. And if if it's incremental like this, what I hope is price points are lower. And if we happen to have to upgrade every three years, every four years, but at a lower price point, I would be okay with that. But, you know, I don't know if if Xbox is, is being a huge company as it is, if they're going to be taking washes on consoles every three years, every four years. So it's... It, it, I do see where they're coming from in terms of like breaking the generational cycle where a new console comes out when it comes out. If it's two years from now, three years, four, five, six, depending on the power and where the industry is in terms of like the tech. Um, Microsoft is definitely the company that can do that, but they're not going to be taking hits on consoles that often. So I don't know if they're kind of throwing a Hail Mary here to see if they can, you know, hit something 
I just hope that that if they do that, that they're not expecting people to dish out five, six hundred dollars every three, four, five years mm. because that's just not feasible at all. And even if I, and even if I had the financial capacity to do that, why would I? Why would I want to do that? Like it, it just because I have the money to spend. Why would I want to spend it on on a new console for a a small increment uh, upgrade? You know. Yeah. It it just doesn't make a lot of sense. But we'll see yeah. where where they are. I mean, it's interesting because. They they can really leverage Series X and S in a unique way to kind of funnel people into the next console um, by mm-hmm. price slashes like they've done over the holidays where the Series S was $150 and it came with a headset at Costco. Yep. And then the Series X was like $349 or something to that effect. So well, I yeah. think the strategy for them could be like, let's let's take the loss now. Let's get people in the Xbox ecosystem with discounted prices for the Series X and S. And then when the next console comes around, they're not going to want to leave this ecosystem because they'll have already started building a digital library. They already subscribed to Game Pass. They're already getting accustomed to having that library of, of, of software. Now when the new console comes around, they're not going to want to jump ship and go back to PlayStation per se. They might want to stay with us. So maybe we cut the prices here get them in and then a regular like normal uh msrp for the next console when it comes out maybe that's the strategy but uh they have yeah, they, have a, we'll they have a lot of things they can do with as, as deep as their pockets are is what i'm saying that's right that's so right. Yep. uh let's go ahead and move on though pablo uh to our third hit point news item and this is where we have some sad news to discuss as there's been two untimely deaths in the gaming industry. Uh, it's with a heavy heart that we report that both E3 and The Last of Us Online are no longer with us. Um, E3, short for the Electronic Entertainment Expo, was the Super Bowl of the industry and the home to some of the biggest announcements and cringeworthy moments in all of gaming. And meanwhile, <laughs> meanwhile The Last of Us Online was a live service online multiplayer experience that was in development since The Last of Us Part 2 was in development, but it was murdered in cold blood by Bungie. Uh, so let's be like men and suppress our emotions. Um, <coughs> let's fight back those tears. Let's give some eulogies to the try. fallen, Pablo. Yeah. Uh, walk me through how you're feeling about the, the, these both of these losses in the industry. Yeah. E3, man, end of an era. Um, I think it's just terrible news. I think E3 was responsible for many of my favorite and most incredible moments in gaming. Like, Twilight Princess reveal in 2004 was crazy. Reggie being presented as the head, the president of, you know, of Nintendo and giving that kicking ass speech was really dope. Fucking, uh, who was it? Uh, Shuhei and, and, and somebody else showing how to share games on PlayStation <laughs> 4, basically killing Xbox One the day it was announced. And then uh, one of another, another one that I thought was really cool when I was younger was Peter Moore showing off the, the Halo 2 tattoo. Yeah. yeah. Like stuff like that, where it's like, man, th- these were moments that you only got there. And I feel like, you know, E3 itself was a place where games were re- celebrated, where publishers or indie devs went to sell games you know a lot of stories of, of, of people picking up publishers at e3 uh it just always felt like that celebration of the industry um except now all we have is someone out here living his dreams with the muppets and <laughs> all these jeff Rand events now it's basically his world for a while and so I, I just fear that you know he's not as interested in celebrating the industry in the same way so you know it's it comes from both ways it comes from the sadness of e3 dying which was the writing was on the wall 
Uh, and then the fact that all we have now are the Jeff Keighley run events where, unfortunately, whether or not, you know, we love him or, 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 or hate him, that's, that is what we have when it comes to the summer uh, uh, celebrations. Hopefully someone else steps up, some, something else comes of it, uh, fills the void of E3, which it's a huge shoes to fill. Um, but we'll see where we are there. Um, as for The Last of Us, I, okay, I, I'm sad that it's gone because this could have been a very interesting thing, you know, conceptually, the way they've spoken about it, but I can't really mourn something that I had, I didn't see at all, you know, and I think this is a necessary death. It's, it's PlayStation shedding its game as service narrative in a massive way. Also, Naughty Dog isn't going to be hindered by having to support this game for years to come, and they can refocus their efforts back on to the single-player experiences that we love, Last of Us 3, new IP, whatever you got, I'm here for it. Um, however, we do need to talk about Neil Druckmann and his tenure as president, because ever since he's taken over, Naughty Dog has been, they haven't been great. They, they, they've had a lot of remasters, some re, a remake here, this whole not online stuff. There's just a lot going on here, and I feel like Neil Druckmann's leadership has to come into question a little bit as to why this happened as well. I think he had, he's part to blame. But overall, it's sad because it could have been great. This could have been a really interesting destiny, let's call that destiny, like in the world of The Last of Us, which is absolutely amazing. But I don't know what exactly it was going to be, and so I can't mourn it that much, but I do... I do find the death necessary to finally get PlayStation out of this 12-game uh, initiative of just games as service, which was bad to begin with, ended badly, and now it and unfortunately ended with, with the death of a game. I feel bad for all developers who were playing, who were, who were working on it. A lot of people who were working on this said that they, it, this could have been something special. So in that way, that's, that, that is sad. But ultimately for me, you know... Uh, unfortunately in the way that it happened but i do still feel it's a necessary death to, to kind of get playstation out of this rut uh, in terms of the perception of what games are making yeah those are some really good perspectives i agree with a good portion of that um let, let me start with e3 um okay e3 for me um was my favorite time of year as a gamer like many other people oh my God. um it, the 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 speculation, the rumors, the rumblings, and uh, seeing all the highs and lows that would happen right on stage, the 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 stuff that blew your mind, the stuff that made you crack up, like the you know people that get on stage and they're awkward and weird, and it's like there was a certain <laughs> charm where it was it was the perfect representation of what gaming uh, was that I think um, you know was was worth celebrating. I I not to be you know. A, a jerk to people, but I, I found a lot of the reactions about the death of E3 to be a little uh, tasteless. Not that I'm trying to humanize mm. E3 in a way where it's like, think of the kids, you know, it's, it's, it's more about like, look, everybody saw this coming. You don't have to act like the know-it-all. It's like, yeah, well, I'm not shocked. I, no one's shocked, but guys, <laughs> we can still be a little bummed out that it happened, right? Like, there's a lot of matter-of-fact people like, oh, yeah, I, I knew this was going to happen four years ago. But, I mean, yeah, the writing was on the wall. It was going to die. Um, we're in a digital age now where the E3 experience just isn't vital in the ways that it used to be. But we can still look back on 
what it did to serve up the industry, um, a lot of buzz, a lot of press, and a lot of attention and excitement um, in a way that is something we can look back on fondly and not like smugly, like, oh, yeah, well, it's dead, whatever. You know, like it's not a whatever kind of thing, in my opinion, at all. So I, right. I don't like that. The, I don't like the energy around it, the fact that it's gone because to your point, now it's with Jeff. Now he has the keys. And you just saw what happened with the Game Awards. And now we're subjected to more of that now from here on. Did you want to chime in real quick? Yeah, I was going to say that this is tasteless and so heartless because this doesn't hurt Nintendo. This doesn't hurt PlayStation. No. This doesn't hurt Xbox. But it hurts the indie devs. Now they, they're on the whim of hopefully Jeff likes my game or likes me. Uh, and would feature me on his on his on his showcase. It's it, this isn't E three was anybody obviously had to pay some money, but can go to the to, to, to the to the floor and and show off their game. That's a great and point. So many surprises came from you know uh, journalists coming back and be like, I played this game that I've never heard of, and it's awesome, and it turns out to be Dishonored, right? Like these these little things like that that we really didn't see coming, and all of a sudden. They're getting, they're getting, uh, uh, they're getting a, a moment to shine. Now that's all based on whether Jeff or not is going to have it. And if you're not the guy from from uh, Hello Games or 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 I don't know what the people did from uh, from that what's that game the suspect game? Um, I don't even know. Uh, they, that features and everything. like you have to cater. Hey, we're gonna put a skin a skin of your face on the game so you can feature us on your show. <laughs> I just this hurts the indie devs. These hurts the, the independents way more. Than, yeah, that's true. Then we can imagine. That's a great point. Yeah, and that's really the big thing is when I when I say like it brought attention to the industry, it also brought attention to the those unknown you know studios, those unknown games that would go on to become the classics that we all love. So I think we have to be a little careful with how we uh, handle these types of things with such a reverence, because at the end of the day, you know, like I said, we, we're leaving it with the Jeff Keeleys of the world. And um, if it's the Jeff show and Jeff's favorite things, then um, I wonder how many games and studios are not going to get the kind of shine that they deserve because uh, their opportunity for exposure is now so limited. So um, mm -hmm. I think what this does is it puts a lot more... Um, a lot more gusto on what state of plays need to be, what developer directs need to be, and showcases. Um, you know, it, it puts I'd get Xbox stuff. Yeah, uh, even even other events like PAX. This puts PAX in a position where they have to really make it count now. So I I, I think there's still a way for um, those unknowns Indie World to showcase. get it. Yeah, but it's going to be a tougher yeah. hill to climb now without the E3 mm -hmm. banner hanging above it because th there was something to that name that was really powerful. Um, now, shifting gears to The Last of Us Online. Um, you know, I really wanted this game. I won't make any bones about it. I loved the first factions from the original The Last fun. of Us. It was a great, great time. So many fun memories there. And the idea of playing something like that again in, in this era sounded amazing to me. Um, what frustrates me the most about this whole situation is the bungee factor. I've been very clear about that. Um, I don't think that they had the right to tell Naughty Dog what's best for The Last of Us IP. And I know that's not what people are going to say. Well, that's not why they came in there. They were more about the live service thing and to see if it was sticky enough. Again, look at Destiny 2. Need I say more, right? So right. who are they to say anything about anything right now, right? And that's a whole different subject for a different day. That acquisition is looking like a complete waste of $3 billion. We'll talk about that another time. Maybe even during our award ceremony, if we're, if we're being honest. Absolutely. Now, 
I have always believed, and I've said this on the show before, I don't think every multiplayer online game has to be a live service or bust. I think there is such a thing as a game that can be out, have one years or two years of a heyday and be gone. Uh, and it's not built to, to last five, six, seven, eight years. So I wish that the, maybe the scope of the game was a little bit more modest than what they tried to grow it into. Um, and that way it could have just been the, the thing you play for about a year and it's, it's, it's there and it's gone. Um, but they obviously took a big swing. It didn't work out. Um, lesson learned on uh, across many parties. And at the end of the day, if, if it meant that they were going to have to turn into a studio that is more live service focused, um, then I would rather them not do that and stay exactly where they're headed now, which is in that single Hell player yeah. lane where they are pretty much the premier or one of the premier studios in that, in that regard. I would call them the premier yeah. studio. Oh, absolutely. Pound yeah. for pound. Yeah, I would say. So um, it, it is a, a bittersweet thing. But if it means that the future of Naughty Dog is more certain and more aligned with what we have known them for uh, across many, many years, then uh, it's it's something that I will take in stride, even though it kind of bumps me out. But yeah, uh, RIP to E3 and The Last of Us Online. Um, fourth and final hit point news item this week, Pablo. We got to talk sales numbers. Because we did get some uh, numbers from the month of November now, according to the latest Circana data, formerly known as NPD. Uh, so we'll just kind of tackle these in kind of like a quick hit sort of fashion here. Um, so as far as the top selling games of the month, we have none other than Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3 as the highest selling game of the month. And it's already the second highest selling game of 2023, Pablo. Um, Good job, Xbox. <laughs> is Call of Duty dead, Pablo? Is Call of Duty dead? Oh, yeah. It is so dead that it outsold just about every game this year. No, Call of Duty's not dead. Will Call of Duty ever die? Probably. It's not now. That's for fucking sure. <laughs> it's just... Look, I... I'll talk about it a little bit. I think Modern Warfare 3 wasn't their best foot forward. And look at look at the sales numbers. It doesn't matter. if There are people out here who own consoles specifically to play Call of Duty. And yep. that shows. And that shows throughout. And there's nothing that's going to stop Call of Duty from being this massive behemoth of a sales monster until, you know, people get tired of it or something better comes out. And nothing has been able to... to, to dethrone it in any way nope. shape or form we love battlefield here but that's not it you know halo's great but that's not it it's it, this they just carved this this part in 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 the zeitgeist of video games where it's going to be very 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 hard and and the death of call of duty which might or may not come won't be next year it's it sells a million copies no it'll be it'll be a slow digression and 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 even then it'll still be the top one top two top three top four selling game for a very 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 long time so this whole narrative that we have to kind of sit through every year so fucking boring call of duty's dead this is the year that call of duty no this isn't the year and guess what next year isn't going to be the year and the year after that it won't be the year so you know everybody needs to i hope that we can stop talking about the the death of call of duty because it ain't happening anytime soon yeah they put out some stinkers man yeah they put out some stickers. Well, that's the thing. I think a lot of people wanted were rooting against this game selling well because you know it was formerly DLC, and then you know people didn't like the the, the campaign very much. Blah blah blah. Um, that ain't gonna do it. The, the Call uh -oh. of Duty is it, people still for as big as this franchise is, people still sell it so short. And understanding that that 
this community of Call of Duty players, they don't care if it's that bad. They don't even, most of them aren't even playing the campaign, you guys. So like, no. it, it, it's just delusion again with 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 the way people look at Call of Duty. This this game was bound to be at or near the top of the list as soon as it came out. There was no getting around that. They could have, and they've done this in the past. They could have omitted a campaign completely, and it still would yeah. have been at the top of the charts. So, Call of Duty is just that important to the community of of of, of casuals, whatever you think of those gamers. I mean, you know, and I play, I I played it too, and we'll talk about it in a little bit. I mean, it's just bigger than you guys give it credit for, despite it always yeah. being at the top every single year. So it's time to let and, that narrative just go. So- yeah. And just to understand, like the best game, the best selling game of the year is Hogwarts Legacy, which came out all the way at the beginning of the year. Right. It had a whole year to kind of sell what it needed to sell. Modern Warfare 3 dropped November 8th. I'm talking about it became the, the second best selling game of, of, the, uh, of the year in a month and some Blink change. Blink of an eye. Yep. Yeah. Come on, guys. Come on. Let's stop the conversation. Whether you hate it or, or not, you can criticize the hell out of these games because believe me, they give you a lot to criticize <laughs> of. But. Yeah, but to call it a, a dead game or a game that's not going to sell, and no matter what reviews say, it's oh, just yeah, it's not going to it's not going to it's not going to it's review proof. It's not going to hurt this game at all. At all, yeah. Uh, now getting into uh, the games that were in the number two spot and the number three spot, we have Marvel Spider Man Two uh, maintaining its high position uh, in November at the two spot, and we have uh, Hogwarts Legacy. As if it already didn't sell uh, like hotcakes enough, it bounced back up to the number three spot, uh, proving that it is apparently a big, big holiday buy uh, for uh, Christmas, and, and and that's to be expected. But what are your thoughts on the number two and three spot going to Spider-Man and Hogwarts? Yeah, I mean, Spider-Man 2 is, is I, I always thought was going to be a, a huge, a great selling game because, you know, it's 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 a very well-known IP. It's a Marvel IP, and it's probably, arguably, the most popular Marvel uh, character they have in Spider-Man. So this doesn't shock me at all. Um, and I'm not shocked by Hogwarts Legacy. It came out on Switch recently, so I'm sure that helped out the bolster its numbers yep. as well. And this is going to go down as, 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 as the year where Hogwarts Legacy was ignored by pretty much 99% of the the industry and yet it's sold out the ass because that game is good and also it's it, it's it's hogwarts you know it's also a huge ip yeah so you know you, you take the fact that it's a good ip that it's a well-known ip and the fact that the game is great um you know th- th- this is what you get you know that th- it's it's actually not that hard of a formula we're not doing you know uh, algebra here. it's 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 good game Good IP equals good money. That's just the way it is. And that's the same thing with Spider-Man. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I'm not surprised either. All I have to say here is just congratulations to both of the teams responsible for these games. Uh, you, you made something that, that's that's sticking. And it's, it's going to mm-hmm. stay at or above the top five spot, uh, you know, for a while now, because it, these, both of these IP are just huge and the games they made in them are excellent and, uh, it deserves to be praised. Uh, you know, it, it, a lot of people love Spider-Man. A lot of people love Hogwarts legacy, uh, holiday season comes around. Yeah. It stands to the reason those, those things are going to sell. So yeah, nothing really, uh, nothing extra to say outside of what you just said. So yeah, congratulations right. to both teams. Um, now, interestingly enough, we're going to circle back on something that I kind of proposed last time we talked about the October, uh, data starfield and forza motorsport both fell out of the top 20 um now as the trajectory was starfield launched at number one in september then it fell to i think the 
14th spot or maybe I don't remember yeah. specifically. Uh, I think it was 14th. Yeah. It, was, it was outside of the top 10. Yeah. And then Forza Motorsport launched at the number 17 spot. So the, something that I talked about uh, that episode was, uh, does Microsoft's games suffer from one month wonder syndrome where they have one month uh, in the sun and then they're just kind of gone? Now, I will say as a caveat, Starfield is still, I think, the ninth highest selling game of the year or something like that. Yeah. Overall. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, circling back to that question now, Pablo, do you think there's credence to that or do you think this is just kind of a, a wash or an anomaly? I think it's what what, what you look at. First, you look at Game Pass. Game Pass is a huge factor in this. Um, you know, uh, a lot of people have access to the game and they don't have to buy it. So there's that. But taking that out of the equation, uh, Starfield falling off of, 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 you know, out of the top 10 completely, I... I out of the top twenty, I I feel like Starfield is essentially it's still a for it's still a a single player game, and it came out in in September, and so I don't know. I just feel like to, out of the top twenty is kind of crazy, but the Game Pass factor. But I just feel like these games just don't have that staying power. It's a new IP, uh, so I'm not that shocked w- with Starfield. I, ultimately, like we said, it, it is still among the, the top 10 sell- best-selling games of the year, and that's huge considering, again, Game Pass. Uh, well, for Forza, though, I'm a little shocked where it launched, but it's such a niche thing. It is a sim racer. At the end of the day, you know, we can enjoy this game for what it is and really love the game, uh, but in terms of widespread appeal, it's still a niche product, and um, and it's and it exists on a console that doesn't doesn't have a lot of user base compared to PlayStation and Nintendo. So that doesn't shock me. What what the thing that I feel like needs to change is with more first party output that Xbox puts out that this can't be a continuing trend. They have to continue to put out games that have to sell well and do well in in, in terms of like where they chart because that's how you equal the the success of those games. Game Pass aside, sales are still very important to to, to Xbox, regardless of how you put it. But I, I think that there is some credence to, to what you're saying because we're seeing here the numbers. Though I do think that, you know, it is a bit of an anomaly when you look at Starfield being a new IP, coming all the way back to September, Game Pass, and Forza being so niche that maybe, you know, ultimately not many people were going to put too much time into that. And if it was outside of Game Pass, people were just weren't going to buy it. But it, it, it's, it's somewhere in between, I would say. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that there is uh, an argument for one-month wonder syndrome here. Um, the problem that Xbox has to figure out is... Um, Everybody who wanted Starfield seems to have already bought Starfield, <laughs> right? So right. how do you right, right, right. how do you yeah. keep that? How do you keep the the engine running, and how do you keep the, the the sales rolling beyond the people that were already interested and already have it, right? What do you do about that? And I don't know if I have an answer to that question, but I think that is where they at Xbox are going to have to figure that out because if there's a lid to your your sales across any game and I understand it's tough Starfield's a new IP it doesn't have that that clout that a Spider-Man has per se but you still have to figure out how to make it successful enough to make it into a long-running series to get a Starfield right. 2 or you know how to keep people uh, in, invested and engaged and intrigued about this game outside of the core audience that already has it I just don't think they've done that yet and that's that's disconcerting um 
the Forza Factor, I think is, I agree, it's it's a little bit more surprising, even though it is a niche game. Forza games usually sell pretty decently, especially on the first month of launch, and it didn't even, it it, it barely got in the top 20 uh, last month, so, and that's a well-known IP. That's, I mean, there's not a lot of yeah, major true. players in the sim racing space, so it's, it's Forza, GT7, uh, and like two others, and one of them I think is only on PC. That's it. So I mean, the fact that that's yeah. that's the best it could do out of the gate is really really sad to see. I, I think I think the way the Xbox fixes that is what they've already shown, which is Blade, their own big yeah. uh, IP that that's outside of their creation, right? I think that's how they kind of how they kind of combat this a little bit and and when it comes to that i think starfield 2 when that happens in 20 years i think uh, it'll have a little bit more of you know a notoriety people will know the the ip more and i think that they can build off that so it's just time and building off of what you already have and then inserting those 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 ips like like blade and things of that sort so i hope that that they do figure it out it looks like they have a plan um, you know, Elder Scrolls is going to go crazy. You know, everybody knows that. The next Fallout is going to go crazy in terms of talk about Bethesda games. Uh, and we and we know for a fact that games like uh, Forza Motorsport uh, or Forza, uh, what's the other one? Horizon. Forza Horizon. Yeah. Those you end up selling way better than, than the Motorsport one. So, you know, they do have that still available in terms of the next games, you know, in the series. So I, 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 I feel like, in the next couple of years, we'll, we'll see better retention, but we'll see. You know, yeah. it's still it's up it's still up for debate. Yeah, it is a smart move to counteract a lot of this stuff with getting more commercial, well known household names or stuff from Marvel, or Disney. Um, but yeah, it is unfortunate to see that. Nevertheless, these two games are kind of um, they're probably not selling oh. terrible, but they're 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 out of the top twenty, yeah. and that does mean something. Um, and also Indiana Jones forgot to mention that right. Uh, yep. Console sales. Uh, first off, is uh, PlayStation at number one. Xbox moves up from the three spot from last month up to the second place position in November. And then third is Nintendo Switch. So, uh, Pablo, Xbox moves up a, a, a position here to number two. PlayStation maintains. Switch kind of you know backslides a little bit. Um, what do you think? Any any observations from this at all? Not really. It's kind of what I expected. Switch is at the end of its cycle. Um, you know, it, it released Mario RPG and, you know, but it's not really, there's nothing really on the Switch right now that, that is going to get people that haven't bought a Switch to buy Switch if they haven't already done so. And, you know, with the holidays coming up and some price drops, I don't know if that affects the November sales, but, you know, Xbox is probably going to... Um, kind of stay at number two for for the next couple of months and and in some cases due to the fact that it is so cheap it might jump up to number one you know that that that's not really going to change the landscape of the of 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 the console uh market uh at all but it's good to see that at the very least xbox is selling uh in in november and and will definitely continue that trend for a little bit so we'll see how that pans out yeah the 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 discounts for the series x and s i think played a big part of this over the black holiday cyber monday um stretch which was a big deal uh but otherwise yeah nothing nothing too different to say here um I, i think that switch and xbox will probably bounce back and forth over the next few months, I don't know if it's going to securely stay Xbox at number two um, because Nintendo just finds a way to still muster more sales out of a dying piece of hardware, like always. Uh, and I'm sure mm-hmm. they'll figure out a way to do that again. But uh, yeah, otherwise, yeah, 
congrats to PlayStation still being at number one and nice jump up from uh, three to two for Xbox. Um, last but not least, this wasn't a part of the Circana data, but because the Alan Wake 2 is digital only and Remedy doesn't report the sales, but um, it was reported that Alan Wake 2 is 147th in active user count on Xbox and 113th on PlayStation 5. Um, considering all different factors, I know the game came out in October, so maybe people are done with it. Uh, but still, that is a, a pretty low uh, amount of users playing the game. So that's brought this topic into question of whether or not um, despite being a critical darling, if Alan Wake 2 is potentially a commercial flop. Uh, so, Pablo, what do you think about this? Yeah, I mean, Alan Wake, the first Alan Wake didn't do well either. Lifetime sales for the first Alan Wake, including the remaster, 3.2 million total sales. Um, you know, uh, I think an insider, an industry insider in terms of like uh, the financials said that they calculated about 850,000 uh, purchases of Alan Wake 2 have been made. Uh, so that's actually not good, but it's not terrible considering the fact that um, Alan Wake has always been kind of also niche in terms of like the it's not like a a game that comes out and everybody is, is clamoring for it it's very specific to a few people and we're talking about a sequel to a game that didn't sell well they came out 13 years later and so and it is also not necessarily a, a one of those third person action games that you can just easily get into there's a lot of narrative to it so you know that might have turned off some people uh, as well but um yeah it's it sucks though because Part of me wanted Alan Wake 2 to be this huge success for Remedy. Remedy makes some of the best games in the industry, yet they don't sell well. Control is probably their best-selling game, and only in, I think that only has like 5 million units sold. And I say only because compared to other big yeah. IPs, you know, they, they sell so much more than that. So I just think it's the type of game they make. And I, I don't know how much was riding on Alan Wake 2 success for us to get an Alan Wake 3 or Control 2, but I have a feeling that... I have a feeling that Alan Wake 2, even though it's not a big success, I think that... It's not going to hurt Remedy too much, even though, according to some some uh, some stuff that I read, Alan Wake Two is the most expensive uh, game to come out of uh, where they're where they're located at Finland or something like that. Yeah, Finland. Yeah, yeah the, the most expensive uh, cultural artistic uh, thing that come out of there. So no movie, no anything has been as expensive to develop for uh, as Alloway 2 but even then it thinks it's about 75 million dollar budget that it had so you know i don't i don't know how i think the the sales numbers look bad but i i'm interested to see how this hurts or doesn't hurt remedy as a whole i, I wonder i wonder how if they've kind of figured this would be the case uh, i don't know if 150k and the fact that it's not releasing really physical i have a feeling that they they might have kind of thought this was going to happen but i hope it doesn't hurt the future prospects. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think there's a couple of factors. You talked about one of them being, you know, the the lack of a physical release. Uh, I think that that, that was a big deal. Um, that's probably more than uh, of a loss than they might have anticipated. I know when I was kind of half stalking their Twitter account about, you know, the audio fix on Xbox, I was also seeing a lot of people going, I'm not buying this until the physical version comes out. Like in every single post, there was dozens and it's dozens true. of people going no i'm not i'm i'm not doing this um 
And so I think that probably played a big part of this. They left money on the table, most likely. Um, secondly, this series was dormant for 13 years. That is a mm-hmm. long, long ass time, dude. Like that is a lot of people. Long that's a lot of people that played this game years ago on Xbox 360 that might have aged out of gaming, that might have just kind of lost interest and play other things now. There's also a whole different generation of gamers that have come in that have no idea who the hell Alan Wake is or why they should care <laughs> about this new game. Like, who's Alan? Right. Um, so and why is he awake? <laughs> so I think the reality <laughs> is is that they 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 brought a very dead, cold ass franchise out of the grave <laughs> and were like, digital or nothing. And people people were like, oh, okay. I mean, nothing. I'm sure that the awards um gave them a bump in some degree. Uh, and I think that the game of the year nominations and some of the awards they won for Alan Wake 2 already. Um, and other with some media outlets, I think that'll certainly help the cause. But, um, you know, I, I think it's one of those things where if you don't know who Alan Wake is, or you don't know the games, uh, or you don't really play a lot of remedy games, you're going to have a lot of, of heavy lifting to do to get up to speed because we got to remember this is also connected to control. And if you didn't play that either, then you're doubly lost because you don't even know how it ties into that whole story arc. So I think at this point, um, I would be shocked if they, to your point, don't recognize how niche they are in, in that sense, because in terms of like what that would translate to in sales, you know, like if, if I don't know anything about control, if I've never played Alan Wake before, um, uh, you know, chances are you're probably ruling out most of the gaming public then uh, in that in that sense. So, yeah, you know, it's sad. But I mean, I, I do understand it, though, which is kind of with a bummer part of it. And I don't I don't think this is like a death sentence for Remedy for two reasons. One, they either expect it and, 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 and know exactly what's happening or two, they need money and they'll probably get bought up by Sony or Xbox and, you know, get that influx of money. So like, I think remedy is going to be around for a long, long, long time. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll it's interesting to see how what happens from this. You know, does it's control this controls to uh, its budget cut? Is is Alan Wake three never happening? You know, there's a lot of questions here that need to be answered, and I hope that you know I hope Remedy is is clear and honest with with the expectations they had and what actually happened in terms of total sales and how that's going to affect them going forward. I know they have a partnership with Rockstar for the remakes of Max Payne one and two, so there's a lot still down the pike for them in terms of games that could come out and be successful. I have a feeling the Max Payne remakes are going to be pretty successful. Um, But there's the the jury still on what Control 2 is actually going to do for them financially. So I I, I would love for them to kind of clear this up because I'm a little worried, though I feel like maybe they saw this coming. Yeah, and it's already on sale now. They did and they planned accordingly. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. It's on sale now at Xbox. It's on sale at Epic Game Store for like $26. Yeah. I mean, that's that's kind of spooky. And the Epic Game Store factor probably counts too. Because that's the exclusive yeah, factor, that's true. you know, not on, you know. Oh, yeah, that's right. So, But they did say, uh, someone said, uh, and when I say someone, there's a lot of industry insiders that do the financial part of it, that said that they're actually, uh, they're counting on, on discounted pricing to, to boost up sales. So hopefully that, that helps them yeah. out. Yeah, it's, it's a, a lot of hopes. That's the thing, though. A lot of hopes and dreams there, yeah. yeah but we'll see what happens with them, man. But that's going to do it for our hit points uh, this week. Uh, the final hit points of the year. Um, so look, before we keep going uh, to the main event of the show, 
Uh, if you've been enjoying this so far, if you like what you're hearing, if you like the discourse about games uh, from two unbiased gamers that just want to play it fair and down the middle about all things uh, gaming industry, uh, this would be a great time to consider subscribing to our show right now. Uh, more obviously where you just found us, of course, but just in case you're curious, we're also in other places you'd expect like Spotify and Apple Podcasts or Google or pretty much any other streaming app or streaming services you YouTube. use. Yeah, YouTube as well. Um, you can find audio versions of our show on there as well. So uh, we're pretty much wherever you would potentially go to get your uh, daily dose of, of podcast or, or uh, uh, content creation, minus all the foolery of bias and hate engagement and uh, paywalling content. We're, we're really trying to keep this free 99 for you, and uh, hopefully you appreciate that. So if you do, uh, consider subscribing if you haven't already. And for those of you uh, longtime listeners, if you have not already done this, this is extremely, extremely important. I know we keep harping on this, and I know you guys are busy, and you don't always have time to go grab your phone and do this. But if you can leave a nice review for us, wherever you happen to be following our show, uh, give us five stars, write a few quick words about what you think of the show, and then keep it moving. That would be a huge, huge difference maker for us as we continue to grow uh, and evolve uh, with our content. So um, thank you in advance for doing that. But uh, why don't we go ahead and move on to the main event of the show this week, Pablo. We call that the Checkpoint Chat. Let's get started. It's time for the Checkpoint Chat. All right, final Checkpoint Chat of 2023. And in keeping with tradition, we are going to be doing a couple things. Uh, number one is we are going to be catching you up on our final Open Critic predictions scores for 2023. Uh, we'll also be giving you our uh, very customized reviews for all of the games we played that came out in Q4 of 2023. So, um, Pablo, why don't we go ahead and start with uh, the bad news for me? Uh, why don't you go ahead and, and walk us through the Open Critic section of this thing and tell us what's going on. Well, before I get to the good part of this section, mm -hmm. let me go ahead and remind our listeners how this works. Our score system uh, works as like this. One point for being the closest and two points for a perfect prediction. Uh, in Q4, some of my victories were Forza Motorsport, Super Mario Bros, Wonder, Avatar, Frontiers of Pandora, and some of Marco's wins in Q4 were Assassin's Creed Mirage, Alan Wake 2, Robocop, Rogue City, Call of Duty, Modern Warfare 3. So he had a few there. Uh, he almost caught up, ladies and gentlemen. But, un but fortunately, and unfortunately for Marco, I have won this year's open critic predictions with 19 total points to Marco's 17. Once again, solidifying that I know exactly what I'm talking about at all times. Uh, and I'm the best of all time. I don't, that's I don't like kind how of you're like, grinning all the way through this. I don't like any of the energy. <laughs> I'm getting right now the smug look he's got the eyebrows up like yep just did that uh and you know it's, it's hard it's, it's hard to be humble in these streets when you're no, no, not that hard you, you know? just had to you just had to you know make a couple bad predictions for your boy to catch up this is this is the second year in a row he's done this to me i i fought my ass off this year though i must say i had a couple of leads you on came you. back there you had a I chance rallied back and it of course had to come down to damn avatar <laughs> to screw me over. This is why I don't like Ubisoft. This is why I don't like movies. That's why I don't like CG. That's why I don't like Pablo. All my right, I'm done. Here. I'm done with mine. 
bad with, with my yeah, man, but it was it was fun. Well, obviously, we did our predictions for we next did. year, so we'll see exactly where Marco ends up if he's finally able to dethrone me, or if I once again take it. Uh, spoiler alert: I'm going to take it again. Third year okay, in a row. That's baby. not Let's nasty. First of all, and second of all, uh, <laughs> if I lose for a third year in a row, we're changing the damn game. We're going to do something else. <laughs> we're going to figure out a different way because uh, this game is rigged. Um, all right. Now that we got that bullshit out the way, let's get to the good <laughs> shit. Um, and that is, of course, uh, reviewing uh, all of the games we played in Q4. Uh, so if you're new to the show or you haven't happened to check out one of our review casts in the past, uh, let me kind of get you caught up on our very proprietary review scale here at Cooldown Time. Because we have what we call a time scale. Cooldown Time time you get the idea and basically what we have is six different designations of uh the types of games we played and they are as follows uh the worst of the worst is what we call a terrible time and those are games with irredeemably awful issues and terrible design choices um that just make the game a horrible experience all around one tier up from that is a rough time and those are games with glaring issues but they still provide the occasional glimmers of enjoyment in the middle of the road, we have an okay time, and those are games with moderate issues that still result in a pretty decent and uh, somewhat ordinary experience. And one tier up from that is games that are a good time. Those are games with mild issues that are generally enjoyable experiences. Up next from there is a great time, and those are the games that provide excellent high-quality experiences with few drawbacks. And last but not least, the ever-elusive timeless designation which are games that are masterful triumphs of their genre and or gaming as a whole so what me and pablo have both done is we have taken all the games that we played and we have basically designated uh each of them to one of those six different categories for this review cast so we're going to start with the worst of the worst and we're going to work our way all the way up to the tippy top of the best of the best and we're going to kind of tell you why. Um, so we're going to go a little round robin here in order to do that. And Pablo, I want to start with you with our bottom rung, the bottom of the barrel, the terrible time games. Do you have any that you have given that terrible designation to? I do. I have one. And that's Lords of the Fallen. Ooh. It's as riddled with tech issues, but also clunky and floaty gameplay. Uh, the umbral plane gimmick wears thin almost immediately. Large areas you can explore, sure, but it doesn't amount, amount to anything. Boring enemy design and poor, poor enemy variety. I think I saw all the enemy varieties like five hours into the Oof. game. And just a complete and awful flat narrative. This is, of course, a Souls-like and coming off the heels of the game of a game like Lies of P. Uh, Lords of the Fallen doesn't even come close to, <laughs> to, to even reaching those heights in, in, in the slightest. Um, I wanted to love this game. I wanted to continue the Souls-like kind of trend here of an, another uh, uh, Souls-like surprise, and I was surprised. I was surprised that this game was actually not even decent or an okay time. This was a terrible fucking time, and I, I am shocked, constantly, consistently shocked at people who, who, who have anything good to say about this game, because for me, this game was awful, yeah. awful, 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 I, terrible time. I never knew why people were so hyped about it to be honest with you, because the first game was a complete non-starter as well. And it's like, okay, well, mm -hmm. this, I mean, this looks interesting, but it looks like it's just 
a more blatant ripoff of Souls formula, and it looked like the gimmicks just didn't feel like something I wanted to deal with either. I'm like, nah, this is not. This is yeah, not. For and this me. game, and this game went through development hell. I think it got restarted twice in terms of uh, during its development. Oh. So already the writing was on the wall. You know, I don't know. Uh, kudos to people who were able to find enjoyment enjoyment out of this piece of shit. <laughs> but anyway, moving on. <laughs> Always graceful with the words. Um, <laughs> I don't have anything in my terrible time category, but I do have some stuff in the next tier up, which is the rough time category. Um, so why don't I go ahead and kick that off, if that's okay with you? Uh, and then you can jump yeah, in. Go for it. Um, so first game on the list for rough time, Persona 5 Tactica. I thought this was a really, really disappointing um, spinoff game that... Um, I didn't really play it for a long time, but because I can kind of see the writing on the wall, that it wasn't going to be for me or wasn't going to be very engaging. Uh, the writing seemed to be a big step backwards. Um, it was very mustache twirling, <clears throat> Saturday morning cartoon kind of energy from it that just didn't feel uh, like it resembled the Persona 5 experience the way I remember it. Mm-hmm. And I think that the, the tactical uh, gameplay just felt very, very um, corny and simplistic and dull. Uh, to a point where I just had no real desire to play it whatsoever after the first uh, opening bit. So yeah, rough time for me. Um, Assassin's Creed Mirage. Um, I hate to put an Assassin's Creed this low, but I just felt like this game, despite its return to a more uh, traditional style of Assassin's Creed, felt really, really bland and dry and uh, just very flat and monotonous in the way that it's delivered. I thought the combat mechanics were very weak. Even the old school stealth mechanics, I think, could have been betterly handled. Betterly. I'm making up a word there, but okay, whatever. Um I just felt like the whole thing, uh, including the narrative, never really got to a point where it was interesting or, or it was um, doing anything to keep me invested for a very long time. But it, it isn't by far a bad game by definition. It's just a game that I think has a lot of detriments that made it very hard to uh, want to play through and enjoy. So Assassin's Creed Mirage is a rough time for me. And thirdly is RoboCop Rogue City. Uh, despite a lot of people being pretty high on this game, I was pretty low on it. Um, I felt like the game just didn't have a lot going for it in terms of overall gameplay and mechanics. Uh, it did feel, no pun intended, a bit robotic, but not in a good way, uh, where I think it it was a little too faithful to the RoboCop movement and, and uh, aesthetics to the point where it just wasn't a very serviceful or functional experience to me moment by moment. And then you couple that with a pretty bland and mediocre uh, setup for the story that really didn't seem to go anywhere in my time with it uh and you just end up with a game that i think kind of feels okay in some respects but very rough and very amateurish in others to the point where this is something i call it a 360 era kind of game with a new age coat of paint and i think that is uh, still an apropos description in my brain about this so a rough time for robocop unfortunately but i think i'm in the minority there but nevertheless that's kind of how i'm feeling uh, but Pablo, you also have some games on your rough time yeah. designation. So why don't you walk me through yours? Yeah, so uh, I'm right. I'm right there with you with Persona Five Tactica. I think the most uninspired spin up to a, to a Persona Five to date. The art style didn't do it for me. And usually these accessible tactical style games work towards its benefit. You know, Mario plus Rabbids comes to mind, but it did not work for me at all. Uh, listen. 
the juice has been squeezed out of oh, Persona Five. No yeah. more juice left. L- leave Persona Five alone. Let's not let's not keep doing this. It, it's over. Now l- let's move on to the next Persona. Um, all right, Call of Duty: Modern Warfare Three is my next game here. Uh, its campaign is short, but that's not why I found it to be a rough time. I I just couldn't get past the structure of the campaign. Came across as lazy to me. It felt like a smaller Warzone map with missions objectives spread out. Uh, I missed the more focused, linear campaign structure. Multiple player was a miss for me this year and i just couldn't find the fun in this year's call of duty which happens you know there are call of duties that work and those that don't work for us we we loved the call of duty that was technically a bad call of duty but you know it just wasn't for me um next game on my list is avatar frontiers of pandora talked about it last week while visually beautiful everything else felt like a by the numbers ubisoft open world game with an avatar license slapped on uh while it's not obnoxious with a sweat structure like far cry 6 it felt very much like a diet version version of those games uh add to that a very mundane story with equally mundane characters there just isn't enough enough outside of its stunning visuals avatar um is not a game you need to be playing in 2023 uh, that's all i got for uh my rough time yeah yeah i, I understand on, on on a lot of levels uh, why you picked some of those i mean uh that might as well transition into our next tier which is the okay time designation uh you just spoke about call of duty modern warfare 3 as a rough time game i actually have it as an okay time for myself um i guess i just didn't think that the campaign was as bad as people said it was um i, I finished it all the way through it, it yeah it, it was very short uh there's no question about that but i i did like what i played i thought that the idea to go a little bit more open with the uh campaign structure was actually kind of fun. I, I didn't hate it. Uh, it. It is a little bit ripped from Warzone. That is true. Um, but I did like the opportunities that I had to kind of play a little bit more my way. Uh, because as we all know, in you know the past with Call of Duty, it was very much a corridor shooter. Follow the person in front of you. There's no room to budge. It's, it's just very much scripted in every way, shape, and form. And I like the fact that they took a, a chance in making this a little bit more breathable and giving you more opportunities to play your way. Um, and I think, I think the story was actually kind of interesting. I think the villain of Makarov is really, really good for this, for this game. And he, he's, he comes through just as well as he did with the original, um, rendition. Um, and I think the multiplayer, particularly the modern warfare two maps they brought in for this game, uh, all feel really good. Uh, and I enjoyed the, the, the changes that they made to the multiplayer in terms of quality of life and time to kill and things like that. So I got to say, you know, I, I don't think that it's, um, a godsend in the world of Call of Duty, but I actually thought that it was a pretty decent time and I actually really enjoyed playing it for what it was. Um, I guess I just didn't have super high expectations like some people may have had, or um, I just know that I'm going to get a very weird experience from Call of Duty. So this didn't really, you know, knock me on my ass and make me go, oh my God, I can't believe they made this. It, it was more along of what I expected and I feel like I got what I, I, I had coming and I was okay with it. Um, now, that's the only one I have on my list of okay times. So you okay. actually have uh, a couple on your list. So why don't you go ahead and walk us through those? Yeah, so uh, starting off my okay time here is Teardown. Uh, weirdly enough, I was not expecting Teardown to feel like an immersive sim, but that's kind of what the single-player campaign felt like to me, albeit with very dry missions. Accomplishing each of those missions, how you see, how you see fit, really appealed to me. The destructibility of the world and the environment is super impressive. Ultimately, though, the, the Lego Minecraft art style worked against it. Uh, and like I mentioned, it's very, very, very dry and boring mission uh, structure 
structure really bogged down an otherwise interesting concept um but yeah that that was teardown for me super mario rpg high hopes coming into this game and came crashing down after a few hours mario rpg may have like this cult following but uh cults are bad did you know that marco uh and mario rpg isn't bad but it's close to being a a, a not a great game i i i think it's repetitive gameplay it's uninspired level design really makes this for my money like the worst mario spinoff game in some time and i'm including the sports games into that uh for sure but but the time that i had that i really enjoyed and kind of like the 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 moment to moment gameplay was actually kind of fun for a while it's just it just died on on the vine very quickly uh, next game on that list is Robocop Rogue City. Better than I thought it would be. I know that I'm way higher on you on this game than, 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 uh, I'm higher on this game than you are, but, uh, in my brain, uh, this was a surefire shit show of a game, but it turned out to be a game that had some promise. It's from its Detroit city level design, which we talked about kind of reminded us of Deus Ex Human Revolution's dedication to the source material, which worked for me for better or worse, and really good ideas that never fully, uh, fully came into full fruition. Uh, mediocre gameplay does kind of bog the game down, and the progression that the game kind of allows you with, with humanizing uh, Alex Murphy never really amounts to anything. Uh, but I feel like this game has some potential and it just ha- didn't reach its full uh, potential so hopefully a sequel can 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 you know can rectify that my next game on the list marco is a controversial pick because even though i am saying it was an okay time i'm talking about none other than marvel spider-man spider-man uh spider-man probably get crucified for this but you know i i had a good time a decent time with spider-man i recognize its quality it's excellent gameplay but it's too safe of a sequel that ends up having diminishing returns for me i thought a lot of the story beats never got close to the original spider-man i think the venom aspect of the game was the best part of it but we didn't get enough of it in my opinion craven had a lot of interesting story elements involved into it but Ultimately, I think he was thrown away too quickly, and you never really got to fully experience what Craven was going through. You got a lot of his 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 story through, you know, things that you might have seen in the world. Um, I, I just and also his motivations just didn't work for me particularly. A lot of Peter's story, uh, I think, worth in uh, rehashing a lot of the sentiments from previous games. Miles was a standout here, but the story alone couldn't carry Spider-Man to as far as uh, as far as the entire narrative. Uh, I. I also think the combat was okay it was it, it it became for me just biding my time waiting for the cooldown on abilities to finish that that's kind of how I, I i experienced the game uh at the end of the day you know like i said up top it's too safe of a sequel too similar in too many ways never comes close to the narrative of the first game it has some really dope moments for sure and the gameplay is great and you know swinging and all that stuff but you know as i as i sit further away from the game and, and kind of contemplate on it i it, for me it was it was pretty disappointing because i mean I, I thought for sure this would be a good or a great game but ultimately for me it just landed uh as an uh, as an okay experience overall you know good you know good <laughs> you said the game ain't no good you said it's just okay uh, that's what happened. Uh, yeah, I mean, I understand your perspective, but let, let's go because it, it's a, it's the next game I'm going to be talking about because we're going to move up okay, to yeah. the good time designation, and I got Marvel Spider-Man two in that pocket. Um, I actually really enjoyed the game a lot. Um, I came to I, I came to it pretty skeptical because, like you, I, I was worried that it was going to be pretty derivative and it wasn't going to move the needle too much uh, compared to the original game and Miles Morales, right? 
And I would say that for the most part, it was as expected in that sense. It is not going to, uh, I think I kind of, you know, I, I talked about this alley-oop kind of uh, comparison and it turned out to be a really nice finger roll layup instead of a slam dunk. And I think that that right. is still kind of how I feel about the game in hindsight. Um, it's it's really well done. It looks good. It plays good. It feels good. But I still think some of those glaring deficiencies, particularly with side content and some of the writing uh, is is still noticeable um, throughout uh, this new game uh, in, in a way that I kind of was a little bummed out about. But I think overall, I still had a lot of fun uh, with what was good about the story. I did like Craven, and I did like his motivations, and I also really enjoyed Venom's uh, narrative uh, arc as well. Um, Miles definitely took me by surprise. I was not a big fan of his in his game, um, and so I was a little worried about that, but he's less cringy this time around by far. Um, and the uh, only thing I don't like about him is that last outfit that he had at the end of the game that looked ridiculous. Oh, that was bad. Um, but that was like Adidas yeah, marketing. And his hair's his hair's poking out. It's like everybody's gonna know that it's you, dude. Like <laughs> at some point, like cover your face, man. But uh, other than that, I, I really loved this game for what it was. Um, I just wish that it had come out in a better technical state than it did. Uh, that was a little unfortunate yeah. and not very characteristic of Insomniac uh, to put it at out all. in that state. But other than that, I mean, it's been fixed by now. That's that's the good thing. So. Uh, but really enjoyed it. Uh, up next for me is a good time is Forza Motorsport. Um, as someone who admires sim racing games, but doesn't really understand a lot about cars, um, getting into these types of games is always a crapshoot for me. And, um, Forza, however, was a very pleasant exception to the very rigid onboarding experience I'm used to from other sim racing titles, uh, because it's a very accessible, approachable, and, uh, very, uh, teaching and, and guiding game compared to what I'm, I'm used to in this space. Uh, gives you a lot of feedback about how you're doing, a point system to tell you how well you're handling certain parts of the track. It gives you a lot of time to practice and get used to what the tracks actually are. Uh, and it makes driving really, really fun, especially since the handling system and driving mechanics are all very, very good. Um, visually, it leaves something on the table, for sure, in comparison to its competition. We all know which one I'm referring to. I'm trying not to feed into that too much um, because I think when you get lost in the comparison with that other game you can kind of forget and look past some of the things that I think this game does very very nicely um, and so I think that this game has been a pleasant surprise I've dumped uh, I think around 40 plus hours into it I still oh wow still play it pretty routinely uh, they are supporting it very well with post-release content, uh, fixes, improvements, quality of life changes, new tracks, new cars. Uh, and so this is a game that I think I'm going to have in my rotation for quite some time because it's just that fun. Uh, so yeah, Forza Motorsport uh, is a good time for me. And then last but not least, Like a Dragon Gaiden, the main who erased his name. <laughs> um, man, for a spinoff game, this, this weird game that's supposed to bridge the gap between what happened at the end of Yakuza 6 and into the Like a Dragon uh, story arc, I, I didn't have the highest expectations. And then you add on, it's going to be 50 bucks and it's going to be digital only. And I'm like, okay, this is going to be some throwaway bullshit. And it was not. Uh, it is a very, very good game uh, to the point where I think it had a really nice, compact story that was sufficient uh, even though it was short, it didn't. It still didn't feel like it, it padded things out too much. But on the gameplay side, it kind of did, which is why I bumped it down a little bit. They do kind of stonewall you a little bit and make you do side content to progress the main story forward, which I never like doing that. And I'm becoming a little bit more concerned about them going to that well too often in this series now. 
Um, But I think apart from that, it was a very high and melodrama, but also great performances, as you'd expect. Uh, on the Japanese side of things, the English dub, I don't know about all that. You, you could probably talk more about that in a second, but, um, yeah, I, from what I played on the Japanese side of the performance was great. Uh, and the ending is highly, highly emotional. I shed real life tears on that thing, man. It was, oh, uh, yeah. and that doesn't happen oh, yeah. to me very often with video games, but that one got me hard, man. I was like, and I don't mean in a sexual way. I mean, in like, uh, <laughs> I mean in an emotional way. A man's grief got me going. <laughs> That's sadism. And I don't want that. Uh, that, that attached to my name so uh listen this is a great great time and uh you know for me uh, but, it, but it just had a few too many gameplay shortcomings with the padding to to put it in that great category so i settled for good mm-hmm. um but you mm-hmm. have some games to talk about on your list of good times so what do you have yeah i mean this is the game that we're the furthest apart on and that's uh assassin's creed mirage mm. uh shocking even me um i i, I I was looking forward to the Back to Basics Assassin's Creed game, but Ubisoft is not to be trusted. Well, I'll admit, Marco, it did start a little rough, uh, like you said. I ended yeah. up really loving uh, Basin and where the story went. The setting of Baghdad during the Islamic Golden Age might not have that visual kind of stunning look like other entries, but it did grow on me. I love the design of many lo- of the locales. The interior design of a lot of the uh, of the games are kind of amazing. And of course, that promise of that old school AC game was accomplished. Really ended up loving the small um, and, and efficient playtime of about 20 hours. I hope that the, the style of AC game is in a one-off and we see more of it. Um, I, I think the more I played the game, the more I got back into that, that groove of, 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 of the Assassin's Creed that I, that I remember loving. Um, it isn't, it isn't like amongst the best. It doesn't really touch the, the Brotherhood, Assassin's Creed 2 in terms of its quality, but it, it, it's good. It, it really is. It, it really brought me back to that time. And I, I really enjoyed my time and that story actually towards that middle part and, and all the way to the end really picked up and it was really interesting and I, and I, and I love that ending quite a bit. So it, it definitely worked for me. Uh, another game on my list where I, I, I swore for the longest was going to be a great time. Uh, that's Super Mario Bros. Wonder. Um, Mario Wonder, it, it, it's filled with amazing moments. The best moments of any 2D Mario game, probably. But sadly, it's not consistent throughout. While the Wonder Flower is an amazing level-changing feature, some of the level transformations were second-rate compared to, like, some of the other ones uh, throughout the game. Mario uh, Wonder is interesting take on a 2D platform because it, it kind of focuses on exploration, so it takes a little bit of that 3D Mario game uh, uh, kind of gameplay and attaches it to it. But overall, for me, I still kind of felt that it didn't deliver in the same way that a Super Mario World or Mario Bros. One, uh, Mario Bros. 3 would in terms of a 2D platforming game. So it's a little bit disappointing in that, in that sense, but it's still a very good game. Um, the next game on my list is Like a Dragon Gaiden, the man who erased mm. his name. Uh, for me, it was a roller coaster of an experience. I, I find myself bored to tears or just in tears uh, in, in many uh, different ways. Um, I really enjoyed the interconnectivity of Gaiden, and, and the latter half of the game is honestly incredible. Um, I felt that the middle part of the game was a slog for me. Uh, I'm a, I love Yakuza games, Like a Dragon games. I love those games. They usually, you know, uh, even Judgment, they usually already start high for me in terms of like, I know what I'm going to get, get from this game and what to expect. This is a shorter kind of experience, but it was padded. You could tell this was a DLC at one point, and I, I, that padding really kind of brought it, brought it down for me. 
Um, but ultimately, you know, again, like I said, that second half of the game really picks up. You know, I really love the performances throughout the game. The English dub, I went back recently to, to kind of play because it just came out. And I will say this about Young Ye's performance as Kiryu. It's not terrible. He's not bad as a voice actor. It just doesn't match the guy. Kiryu's supposed to be this, this, this old Yakuza legend and what it sounds like to me is Young Yi trying to sound like an old Yakuza legend. He's trying to force his voice to sound a little more dour, a little more serious, a little bit more older, and it doesn't work. Quality-wise, it, 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 it's good. Like he, 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 it, The way it sounds, and if he was any other character in that game, nobody would be giving him shit. But the fact that you're voicing one of the most legendary uh, video game protagonists, in my opinion, of all time, and you're changing his demeanor just by your tonality of your voice in such a massive way that I can see why people are like, oh, this is terrible. I get it. It's not terrible, but it doesn't work. And that's even worse because it. this guy is signed on to, to, to for the next game, which we've already heard some of that. And it, if he was like a younger version of Kiryu, maybe that this would over time would have grown on me, but it's not. It's not who the character is. This is not where he is in his, in his moment. So that doesn't work for me. But anyway, I digress. Uh, overall, for me, I think that Like a Dragon Gaiden, the main racist name, had potential to be a great game, but it falls under good yeah. just because of all the padding and a, a lot of the stuff in the middle of that game. But other than that, man, if you guys love Like a Dragon, Yakuza games, this is a is this, this is a game you can't no, miss because yeah, no this question. is Kiryu. Yeah, yeah at, at Kiryu giving him giving the culmination of the emotionality that he's been through, the things that he's gone through with with uh, Morning Glory and those kids, and seeing the the, the things that happen at the end, it, it's just impactful in ways that many games can only dream of being impactful in that way, in, in an emotional level. So loved this game to pieces. However, it just wasn't the home run that I thought it was going to be. Uh, next game on that is Forza Motorsport. Uh, Marco, I kind of echo everything you said. You said it perfectly. Not much more for me to add. I'm not a sim racing guy, and this game mate had me playing this game pretty much nonstop when it came out. I, I love it. I know that visually people, uh, compared to the other game, isn't as stunning. However, driving at night in rain looked amazing. I, I, it was just an amazing kind of visual aesthetic that I thought was, was really dope. And, you know... These games, when it comes to, 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 to what they do, they do it at, at a high level. And the fact that it can bring in a guy like me who was not a sim racing guy at all. I haven't even played uh, GT6, Grand Turismo 6, but this game really got me into it. And I really, really, really enjoyed my time with it. So it's definitely a good experience. Uh, the last game on my list here is a game that I just talked about uh, already. Star Ocean, uh, second story. Where I'm at in, in the game right now, this has potential to even be great, but I'm, 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 I'm still halfway through it, so I want to give it a time. And right now, the way I'm feeling about it is that it's a very good game. You know, it, it does everything at a really good high level, and it's consistent and engaging story. You can't ask much more of that of an RPG for sure. Uh, so yeah, that's where I'm at with those. Uh, and so now I guess we're moving to great time. What do you got, yeah, man? You had a lot of good games on your list uh, on, on that designation, mm -hmm. man. It's been a solid month for you. Um, yeah, yeah, let's talk about the great games. I mean, we both have the same two, so we can kind of talk about these in tandem. And we've, we've talked about them at the sure. top of the show, but I think in this context of, of best uh, and bootiest games of, of Q4, I think they belong uh, in this conversation again. Uh, we'll start with Alan Wake 2. Um, you know, I, I had a very uphill climb, as I mentioned at the top of the show, with um, 
playing this game in a in a state that I felt to be respectable based on the money that I spent on it. Um, it was a lot of hoops to jump through and a lot of caveats to try to look beyond. Uh, so like I said earlier, it was going to take this game doing something truly, truly special to not get... Uh, thrown into the rough time category or, you know, yeah. something like that where there's a lot of problems. Thankfully, the good outweighs the bad in so many um, unavoidable ways that um, putting Alan Way 2 in this designation of great time was a no-brainer, um, to my surprise. And that's because of how many things it does just so incredibly well. Um, this world mm-hmm. that they put you in, in Washington, this place, is, it feels so real. Bright Falls and watery and uh, Cauldron Lake. It, these places feel so believable from top to bottom. It feels so lived in and so tangible. Um, and the same goes for the characters that you run into along the way. And then, of course, the main story hook about Alan uh, and Asaga Anderson and, and how those two separate campaigns are structured, I thought was really, really cool. That could have been bad. That could have been really, really stupid. But they figured out a way to make those dual campaigns work and intertwine together really nicely in a way where no matter how you played it, whether you did all Saga stuff and all Alan stuff or you did a little of each, um, you still got a very suspenseful um intriguing game that saved a lot of its biggest stuff towards the end in terms of like revelations and stuff, but still also left uh, some questions unanswered uh, and some threads untied for future DLC that's coming for the game yep. as well. Um, Can't the wait. mystique this game has, the, uh, the, the, the way that they pivoted into survival horror style, I think all was done pretty effectively. There's some amateurish stuff with like the jump scares. I can do without those. I think those didn't really add a lot, but, but one of the, one of them got me a couple times with the old lady old cynthia oh, old cynthia. oh yeah I, mean, I, I ain't gonna say much more than that but old cynthia i mean she got me a couple times but uh outside of that i i really felt like this game delivered uh beyond what it's not doing well on the technical side so yeah uh, any any uh final thoughts about alan wake 2 in this context man yeah man Great characters, great story, singular, uncompromised vision, a story that pulls from many aspects of Remedy history, all implemented into a complex, connective tissue, and yet feels like it was always meant to be this way. The writing and the way they did it was uh, particularly fantastic. Some standout missions, uh, like uh, Mission 665 with, with, um, with Alan Wake in that hotel. That oh. was an amazing... Oh, my God. That was so good. Uh, just th- so many good things about this game. Uh, it, it, I think, it, it, barring some gameplay stuff and barring some technical issues, this game could have flirted with Timeless for me uh, in a lot of ways. But, you know, ultimately with, with that and some of the story stuff that I wasn't a gr- huge fan of, it, it, it solidified its it, it, its place in great time for me. But, yeah, uh, echo a lot of what I said at the top and echoing what you said. I, I, it's a fantastic game, and I hope that we get a lot more from the Alan Wake world uh, in, in the near future. Yeah. And of course, we have to talk about none other than Baldur's Gate 3. Um, I know that people have kind of gotten a little bit tired of, of the conversations around that game, but both me and Pablo have been kind of trying to get in where we fit in with that game uh, a little bit late in the year. So, um, you know, I said a lot about the game at the top of this. It's still a work in progress for me. <clears throat> but I think at this point, um, the, the amount of things that it does so remarkably and undeniably well um, made this an undeniable great time 
designation for me, even in the somewhat early goings that I'm still in right now. Um, I've heard nothing but good things about where things go next in the game through you and other people. Uh, and I have every reason to believe it uh, based on what I've seen so far. It is a little bit of a jarring game to get into if you're someone like me who has no D&D experience, who does not play CRPGs very much, if at all, and who is a little bit bored of the whole fantasy setting at large anyway with the dragons and the orcs and the elves. Yeah, and yeah. Can get a little plain Jane uh, for people like me, and if that's some of you out there, I totally relate. But this game figures out a way to push through that, and it does so with mm-hmm. incredible writing, memorable characters, uh, a really rich combat system that is surprisingly welcoming for newcomers and uh, gives you a lot of time to kind of get your bearings. Um, the presentation's pretty good outside of a couple of quirks and weirdness that that is plaguing it right now. But uh, the other good thing is that Larian Studios has been very, very uh, vigilant with post-launch uh patches to add more content and quality of life improvements and fixes to the game so uh even if it's not in a picture perfect place right now it is going to get to a point where it will be uh sooner than later because of how on top of things they are um i wish that some of those criticisms got called out a lot more when it was reviewed uh i know we both have some issues with how that's been going with reviews lately where bugs and issues seem to get kind of swept under the rug when people love other things well, um but yeah otherwise i really loved it well surprisingly to kind of go on to the whole xbox tax thing suddenly the the technical issues have become a point of contention for a lot of people now that it's on xbox how interesting is yeah. that this game launched and it was unplayable the third act was unplayable for a lot of people but other than that man a massive turnaround documented on the show from both of us. This game had a lot going against it, like Marco said, a D&D game, a, a CRPG. Those are kind of games that we don't really play or cover on the show here. And yet here we are, completely enamored by this game <laughs> and just about every way. I think it's a... It does a lot of things that other games wish that, that they could accomplish in terms of its narrative, branching paths, all that stuff. It is, it is an incredible accomplishment in so many different ways. And I, you know, I, I, I love this game. I think this game is, is fantastic. And, and, and it's really hard. Not, it's not hard, but, you know, I'm not a person that likes to go against the grain for the sake of it. But when people are talking up Baldur's Gate 3 in such a way, you kind of come in a little bit cynical. Like, how good can this game really be? Turns out, really fucking good, actually. Um, and I, I love my time with it. I'm loving my time with it so far. Uh, I don't see any 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 way I can slow down on it. It's a hard game to put down once you kind of get into the groove. I think that the the, the combat still is, is my least favorite part, but once I found that, that right team uh, comp and, and really got into the groove of things, uh, it, 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 it opened up my kind of, the way that I thought about the game in, in so many different levels because it was for a long time the thing that was holding me back. And that's no longer the case. Um, yeah, Baldur's Gate 3 is an excellent uh, RPG in its own right and I can't wait to keep playing this game for sure. Yeah, man. Um, now, since this is our last uh, review cast of the year before we get to Game of the Year conversations, I just got a you know, kind of open-ended question here. What would you say, good or bad, was the biggest surprise of all the games that you just listed out in terms of where it ultimately landed? Was there one that, like, man, I can't believe that this is here? Uh, good or bad? Uh, Spider-Man mm, 2 yeah. in the good time, in the okay time category was um, yeah. was a shocker for me because it, going into it, uh, Spider-Man, the first Spider-Man I loved, and I love Miles Morales so much that I thought, well, of course I'm going to love Spider-Man 2. And, well, I, I can't say I loved it. I, I still like it. But 
I thought it was overall an, an okay time. Yeah. Um, and just to kind of give you a good one, uh, the most recent one, Star Ocean Second Story oh, yeah. R, it caught me yeah. off completely off guard and being at a good time already. That's uh, that's a huge. Uh, that's a that's a game that I didn't see coming, and I'm just completely obsessed with it. Yeah, that is a good pick. That is a good pick. That's very unlike you uh, in many ways, but yeah, mm-hmm. glad to see it. For me, I would say probably Assassin's Creed Mirage being a rough time. I really thought the comeback mm-hmm. to the old school formula was going to do things for me. It did nothing. Um, it it uh, <laughs> did no nothing. fire, no nothing. Um, <laughs> Colvin, Colvin. Yeah. And then I, I'd probably say Baldur's Gate 3. Yeah. I mean, I thought when I, man, yeah, well, yeah. I've been waiting for the Xbox version. I'm like, I bet you anything. I'm going to wait all this time. I'm going to get this shit. <laughs> and it is not going to be for me. And it, for a time it was. Like, I was like, maybe I should get a refund on this thing. But I'm like, no, let me stick with it. Let me be persistent. And eventually, you know, it got to a spot on this thing where I'm like, ah, man, I didn't know if that was going to happen for a while there. But it did. And I'm glad it did. So, yeah. Uh, but that is going to do it for our. Uh, fourth and final review cast of 2023. Ladies and gentlemen, listen, I know you're about to try to stop playing the episode and go on to other things, but but please remember, starting next week is our two-part game of the year deliberations, okay? We're talking about over a dozen different categories of best visuals, best story, best characters, best sound design. I mean, we're really going all out in a way that Jeff Keighley never did. Um, and so, uh, we hope that you will absolutely check back with us during those deliberations. We'll be dropping, uh, same day, same time, you know, usual time. We're not going to do anything special with scheduling. It's going to be the same deal, but, uh, please make sure you stay tuned for that. We know it's going to be a little hectic for the holidays, but we're going to give you some content. We're not taking a week off. We're going to keep it rolling for you. Just in case you got crazy ass family members, you don't want to listen to them talk. You can pop on the podcast, listen to us talk about games, and you can tune out that way. So we got you covered. All right. So please remember, if you have not subscribed to the show already, please do so. If you have subscribed to the show already, please make sure that you're getting notifications. I know that some apps don't do a great job of pushing notifications to your phone whenever something new comes out. Uh, so be sure to keep tabs on us and look for, look out for us on Mondays. Okay. So just a heads up. We're dropping some heat, all right? So that is going to do it for this week, though. So if you enjoyed this, make sure you subscribe. Make sure you leave a five-star review, and that's going to do it for us. So thanks for listening. Enjoy your games, and we'll see you next week for our Game of the Year special. Let's go. Make me feel good.